Welcome to the Podcast Potables Network. You are listening to Power Ups and Potables. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and on Tapped at Process Potables. Check out our other shows on Twitter at PowerBombsPPN, at PucksPPN, and at PopcornPPN. Today, Popcorn and Potables released their first bonus episode discussing the movie Superbad. We have the debut of Pucks and Potables with Mason and Mike hosting. That'll be out sometime this weekend. And every Monday, you can expect a brand new Power Bombs and Potables episode in your newsfeed recapping the last week in professional wrestling television. For news, blog posts, info on breweries we've worked with, and more, check out www.processpotables.com. Power Ups and Potables is on tap. Cheers, everybody. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to this debut episode of Power Ups and Potables. My name is Dan Morgan, your host for today, and joining me will be the host of this show, hopefully going forward. We hope that this is something that you guys will be interested and look forward to hearing from getting some news in the world of video games, some fun discussions, and as always, us including the craft beer aspect. I know when I'm playing games usually i'm drinking a nice cold beer with it as i'm doing while we do this episode and i'm joined by my friend steve steve this is something that we've talked about doing i'm really excited that we're uh we're finally jumping into it i'm excited to hopefully be bringing you on to the podcast portals network what is going on man no man i appreciate you bringing me on it's an honor just to be here and talk about something i love we spitballed about doing a podcast for a very long time bullshit in about it and i'm happy that we decided to get the time together to finally do it yeah i think this is gonna be a lot of fun so we want to you know we've introduced a lot of shows lately it, it honestly may even be a little bit of overkill but the quarantine being very difficult to maintain a lot of the sports news really had us thinking what can we do to make sure that we are always putting out content because the name of this game is content 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 and we found, especially with Popcorn and Potables being such a success early on, and even with Power Bombs and Potables as professional wrestling never really took a break due to this to the same degree that other sports did, that there are a lot of things that we don't necessarily have to worry about seasonal cycles and off-seasons and things like that so we can make sure that we continue to bring you the best content in all of those uh, fields and as well as making sure that we are still talking about beer, both local and nationwide Right now, I'm drinking the Thrice Cream from 3-3's Brewing. It is a cream ale conditioned on Oreos. It is absolutely incredible. One of the biggest struggles with drinking beer is how many, especially craft beer, is how caloric it is. And if you're trying to watch your diet and then you also have like a sweet tooth, which I have all of these problems, which is why I look the way that I do, is that this almost fills so many of those voids because I don't really need dessert when I drink this beer. I'm getting my beer fix and I'm getting my dessert fix. It's very sweet. It's very good. Steve, you, you want to talk a little bit about what you're drinking there? Yes, yes. As uh, as we know, I don't drink anymore. Uh, so to Christian, the podcast, I decided to get myself a nice, delicious, non-alcoholic Heineken. Uh, it tastes just like the original Heineken. Uh, it's definitely just, it has the beer taste. It doesn't feel fake. It doesn't feel like an adult's. 
And it's just really good to enjoy. I, I think I first had it when I had Mexican food with our friend Mike, and it just hit the spot. And I've been a fan of it ever since. And, you know, we commend that kind of thing here. Like We never force anybody to come on and drink. You know, the beer part is a fun aspect to us. We enjoy the aesthetic of going to these breweries. We like to go out and talk to people and stuff. But obviously, alcohol is a substance, you know, much, much like a lot of other things that he will talk about a little bit more. But, you know, if that's not the thing for people, you know, we hope that we do enough of it to encourage the people that enjoy that. But also, you know, we're, we're mainly here to talk about the main hits of these episodes, the wrestling, the movies, the basketball, and for this one, the video games. So it's all good here. And actually, I believe when we record Popcorn and Potables tomorrow, we're going to have a, uh, a bit of a similar situation and actually a bit of a conversation on that. So uh, I, I think it's a good thing to talk about. I think it, it does get a little bit swept under the rug sometimes when we talk about a lot of substances and, and abuse and control and stuff that people forget how dangerous alcohol can potentially be. Obviously, we you know we hope and preach that everybody is responsible with it if it's something you partake in, but by no means do we uh, you know feel the need to pressure anybody to do so. But uh, as as they say, you know, enjoy responsibly if you can and be smart if you need to. Absolutely. So with that said, very important, we do want to get into uh, some video game news that's going around. So this is going to be this week's Quick Sips. Sony will postpone its PlayStation 5 event. It would have actually occurred today, June 4th, so that, quote, more important voices can be heard. Their official statement was as follows, quote, while we understand gamers worldwide are excited to see PlayStation 5 games, we do not feel that right now is the time for celebration, and for now, we want to stand back and allow more important voices to be heard. The company wrote in a statement on Twitter, the event was intended to showcase games for the upcoming PlayStation 5. And on top of that, Activision and Infinity Ward also followed suit, delaying the new season of Call of Duty titles Modern Warfare Warzone and Call of Duty Mo- Mobile via the following statement. We all look forward to playing the new seasons of Modern Warfare Warzone and Call of Duty Mobile. Now it's not the time. We are moving the launches of Modern Warfare Season 4 and Call of Duty Mobile Season 7 to later dates. Right now, it's time for those speaking up for equality, justice, and change to be seen and heard. We stand alongside you. Along the same lines, Madden 21 was expected to release their cover on June 1st and delayed it as well. EA Sports released the following statement, quote, Tomorrow we had committed to celebrating Madden NFL 21 with you, but we're not going to do that now. We stand with our African-American slash black community of friends, players, colleagues, and partners. Our immediate attention is on actions we can take to drive change against the unjust treatment and systematic bias that is plaguing the nation and our world. We'll find another time to talk football with you because this is bigger than a game, bigger than sports, and needs all of us to stand together and commit to change. With all of those three statements coming out, I just want to make a point that if you're not familiar with our network, if this is the first time you're listening to anything, hopefully this does bring in a slew of new listeners who maybe weren't necessarily brought in by pretty much the exclusive sports content we do. One, I would suggest popcorn and potables for the movie aspect, definitely, but As far as what's going on in the world right now, we touched on it heavily in the newest Process Potables, which is the podcast that I host, which is the flagship of this network. We spent pretty much the first 20 minutes of our episode on it, so we're not going to dig into it here. 
if you want to get thoughts that I think are mostly shared across this network and are just, you know, the thoughts in general, you can definitely check that out. I suggest it if it's something that you want to hear about. And I believe we're going to talk a little bit about it again on tomorrow's Popcorn and Potables. So to the same degree, things we're talking about here are not nearly as important as what is going on in the world, but there are still people that look to escape with things like this. So we want to provide that content, but wanted to make sure we led off this new segment with the fact that, you know, the important thing going on in the world is, is the change that we are trying to achieve and ruling out the injustice that occurs to a lot of minority communities uh, via police brutality and injustice in the criminal justice system and things along those lines. So a lot of the major games, major platforms that you would be expecting releases from are on the same front with that and are delaying the releases as a result. And we respect that and, and stand alongside both their decisions to do so and the movement in general. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely the right thing to do with that. Correct. All right. So I, I feel a big news coming up. Um, GTA, a big news coming up. G2A, which is a notorious gray market for video game keys. Uh, it's a website that's run just like eBay. They give you the platform to sell Steam keys, uh, Elder Scrolls Online keys, Minecraft game keys, FIFA coins, shark cards for Grand Theft Auto, and other random items for PC games. So does that mean the Borton's all over it? That Mike is on that website, <laughs> I think, every single day, looking for a good deal. During on, on company time, I bet. Absolutely. You, you know that's what he's doing. Suck it, Borton. <laughs> so, yeah. So... It's very notorious uh, of selling keys. It's stealing money from indie developers who pretty much are supported by people buying their games. And what's been happening is uh, a lot of people have been using stolen credit cards. They've been manipulating uh, companies saying that they are either famous YouTubers or game reviewers to get those keys and then selling it on the website for profit. And what ends up happening with stuff like that is that G2A is not responsible for it at all. The developer of the game who released those keys are responsible. So what ends up happening is they have to reimburse the people who have had their credit cards compromised from stolen keys. So G2A, to you know, combat all that, offered up if you uh, to any game developer out there, if you can actually find that we are selling stolen keys on our platform, let us know and we will, we will cover the cost tenfold. Well, one company actually did that. The company is called Woob Studios, and they created the game Factorio. And they worked with G2A to figure out, you know, hey, we think you stole our keys, or someone stole our keys and are selling them on your platform. G2A told them, go ahead and figure it out. Well, they did. And then G2A, in a blog post called Keeping Our Promises, said that of the 321 keys Woob reported of having been stolen, their internal investigation revealed that 198 keys have been sold by G2A, and as a result of this, G2A is now paying Woob Studio $39,600, or 10 times the value of any bank-initiated refund costs that Factorio paid in relations to each of the 198 illegitimate keys sold via the marketplace. It's weird because this is a thing where when you say that they're not responsible for it and on the hook for it, it sounds really shady, but at the same time, the fact that they at least did keep their end of the bargain here and paid out that money upon the internal investigation is like, okay, well, you know, do I necessarily agree with that system of checks and balances? Probably not, but we've seen plenty of times where 
a company acts like this and then doesn't even, you know, keep to their word about what they do plan to do about. So I, I kind of give them credit for dishing out the money. Absolutely. But the, the practice of the whole thing in general seems questionable to say the least. So okay. it, it's a very weird situation, but uh, an interesting one nonetheless. Yeah. It's very, very shady. I mean, uh, I mean, you knew a website like this would happen. Of course. I mean, and at least G2A did step up to pay everything back. Yep. But, I mean, it should have even begun in the first place. And That's uh, kind of my point. <laughs> yes. And then now for my personal opinion, this month's PS Plus games absolutely suck. I don't know about you, Dan. I don't know what your opinions lie at. But the games that they released this month, that's been two months in a row of just slaps in the face. So last month... The two games were simulation games, and they were City Skylines and Farming Simulator 19. Nothing wrong with the simulator game. People love those games. I mean, I know the Russians make them nonstop. Firefighter Simulator and all that such. But, no, I, I don't play simulator games. And offering two retail games for that isn't worth it. So, I think they decided, okay, well, let's step it up. So, we're going to release a Call of Duty game, but not the one you want. It's Call of Duty World War II which came out three years ago. No one really plays that game anymore. It had a good story. I'm not going to lie. It was a six-hour campaign story, which really is short. But, I mean, as we know, Call of Duty does not focus on their single player anymore. Right. It's all where the multiplayer is. And, I mean, you can still play old-school zombies, just like how it was in War of War. And you get David Tennant's in there as one of the playable characters. And it's great. But, I mean, no one is jumping on playing that. Everyone's playing Warzone now. That's just what it is. The other game they released on top of that, which was Star Wars Battlefront 2. I don't know what you think about it, Dan. I know you're a big Star Wars fan. It was an okay game. Yeah. It was kind of a, um, like, we did wrong with Battlefront 1, so let's redo this. So they, you know, gave it a single-player campaign, which is just multiplayer maps, just with objectives. And, you know, it's a, it's another, just a regular MMO shooter. That's all it is. The thing that sucks about it is also this came in, came out three years ago. Now, it's still heavily played, which is great. But anybody who's now downloading this game now is going to be at a total disadvantage for players who have been playing it nonstop. And the only way you're going to get better weapons or better skills, or in the case for Star Wars, it's better cards, is you're either going to grind the game or you're going to have to pay for loot boxes. And, I mean, I'm sorry, no one wants to pay for loot boxes. I get it. It's a way for a company to make money. And that's fine. But the the prices they're doing and just to give new players a step up to get back into the game is just horrible. Yeah, there, there's a lot of things to this. I mean, my first thought, ultimately, and this is the same way I felt when I had Xbox and they were giving out free games, mm -hmm. is that it's free. It's included in a service that I need to pay for regardless, pretty much. So do I really care or, or do I need to complain? No, but you raise a lot of good points that really should be worthy of their thought process. Number one, if you're going to release two games at a time, they probably should not be the same type of game. And you've pointed out that in back-to-back -back months, they pretty much released the same game twice, but, you know, like a different variant, so to speak. Yeah. Now, I'm not a simulator guy either for the most part. Uh, I remember, I don't remember if it was on PS4 or if it was when I still had my Xbox that one of them put out, like, the Goat Simulator game. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it was on Xbox. Yeah, it was. it's on Xbox and the newer generations, but Goat Simulator isn't that it's much. It's not really a simulator. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But, like, I remember downloading it and dicking around for, like, two hours, and that was the extent of it. So, mm -hmm. which was like, okay, that was fun, and it was free, so whatever. But clearly wasn't sustainable value. Yeah. 
I had a friend message me and say he's been playing a lot of farming simulator. I'm not making this up. Really? My friend Jack told me that he is trying to flex on the entire community and get platinum <laughs> trophies in this game so that when you see his profile, you will see that he has platinum trophies in farming simulator. And I told him that that would be the biggest flex that I think I've ever seen <laughs> in the history of video games. I don't know if he's gotten it yet, but I, I plan to keep checking. To the release of Call of Duty... You know, I mean, Warzone's free, so if it's like, okay, well, what Call of Duty would people want? Well, the one they want right now is already free, so, you know, what else are they going to give you? Some of these, a lot of these games do have a long shelf life, especially when people like the multiplayer aspect of a specific one. Mm -hmm. You know, they still keep the servers online, like, those lobbies are still active. Are they as active as a game like Warzone right now? No, absolutely not, but the fandom is still there, and I get it. Battlefront was not a game for me, but it wasn't necessarily a bad game. Yeah. It just didn't really work for me. I heard a lot of great things compared to the first one, which I think still stands true, but neither of these games are games I'm going to download. But end of the day, you know, the, my personal opinion is stuff is free. If I don't like it, so be it. Do I wish it was better stuff that maybe I would enjoy? Yeah, but do I also expect them to be giving away free stuff that came out recently that people may still be spending money on? No. Well, yeah, and I, I agree with that. I, I'm not ask, asking for a game that just came out six months ago. Yeah, I'm not saying you, you want that. I'm just saying in, in, in general the oh, yeah. way I look at it. I'm just saying they could have done a little bit better. I mean, games are three years ago, and they moved. Like, Call of Duty, prime example, they have a game that come out every year. So, I mean, you can still find people online playing it. I just feel, I think PlayStation could have did a little bit better. And they even released Call of Duty War to War on Memorial Day for everybody. So, they actually released the game early, which is good. But last time they did that, they had uh, a whole uproar of some of the games they released, and they actually switched it on it. So a lot of the gaming community thought PlayStation was going to do a bait-and-switch and give us a different game. Now, I've paid a lot less attention to the PlayStation Store since I switched to exclusively PlayStation than I did with Xbox just because of the way the Xbox like interface worked mm-hmm. and how everything was kind of there when you went on. The one thing I loved about Xbox was when they also did the the two free games, there was also like a retro game. PlayStation doesn't do that, do they? No. So that would be awesome if they if they were able to give you the access to like, you know, a PS1 or 2 game for free as well. Well, yeah, and the PlayStation 4 can actually play PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 games. It cannot play PlayStation 3 games. I mean, I completely agree with you. PlayStation has an immense library of games that everybody loves over three separate consoles. They could release one of those games. I mean... I wouldn't care over a 15-year-old game because it's awesome to play it on your PS4. Sure. Yeah, that's where I like I would I would have much more interest in probably any PS1 or 2 game even again if it's just like that goat simulator I mentioned where I I pop it in for 2 hours and then I uninstall it to to free up the space on my hard drive. <laughs> yeah. I'm much more likely to do that with a retro game at this point than I am a 3 or 4-year-old PS4 title because at this point I either already played it or didn't have interest then and won't have interest now. Yeah. The last thing we had that I put in here so <laughs> on the topic of free games ironically was that if you play PC Epic Games free game of the month, which I just noticed them start doing last month. I don't know how long they've been doing it, but now the ads are like one of the the three you see in rotation anytime mm-hmm. you watch a Twitch streamer, so you can't avoid it. But this one's pretty good. Epic Games free game of the month is the Borderlands Handsome Collection, which is Borderlands 2 and the pre-sequel. And the thing about this is if you download it, you own it forever. So it's free. It's only on PC, though. Uh, I assume you need an Epic account. I don't play anything Epic on my PC, but I assume that would be the case. But you get it forever. And I know me and Steve are both fans of Borderlands. Uh, The entire series, Borderlands 2, I think was easily the best one. 
and the fact that you can get that for free and keep it on your PC is pretty awesome. So uh, to combat how bad we think PlayStation is doing with it, Epic, pretty awesome. I forget what they did last month, but I feel like uh, I think it was like Sid Meier's Civilization. Yes, the newest one they had. They have, uh, I think, Civ Six. I want to say, yeah, something like that. So like, I thought that was really cool too. I I wish I downloaded that. I didn't see it till like May twenty eighth or twenty ninth, and then like I just never got around to it, but. You know, so so far it seems like Epic is doing a pretty cool job with that. If if you game on PC, it does seem like it is only PC exclusive though. Yeah, and Epic is going against Steam, and Steam does some sales here and there. But Epic, I think, is probably one of the only providers of PC games that are giving away games nonstop. I know Twitch is doing it, but you have to be part of a, a Twitch Prime member. Yeah, but I mean, Epic is just giving. Triple A games away, and Borderlands Two is a very beloved game. It's a great game to play with friends, and just to have that for free. Is an amazing, and you get all the DLC with it too. Yeah, and in regards to if you have Twitch Prime, which pretty much means you have Amazon Prime, fuck Jeff Bezos. Oh, absolutely. And that's going to be this week's Quick Sips. All right, to get to the main chunk of our segment today, me and Dan are going to go over our top 10 favorite games of all time. Now, they may not be the best games of all time. They may be pretty shitty games. I think I have maybe one or two on that list. That's fine. It's games that you love, and... Me and Dan both have different tastes in it, and I'm sure you guys are going to find out now. So for my first game, it's going to be number 10, obviously, because I'm not giving you the good stuff right away. Yeah, we're going to alternate and work backwards from 10. Yes. So my top 10 game, number 10, was Dead Rising. Yeah, uh, I really liked this series. Uh, I'm a big fan of those games. I never bought any of the... How many do they have now? Four. Okay, I didn't play the fourth. I played the first three. Mm-hmm. I never owned a single one of them. I rented every single one, whether it was from an actual like store mm-hmm. or if it was like a red box or GameFly. I'm pretty sure that was like the order. It was like the first one. I think I rented from I don't I don't even know where it was still during rentals at that point. <laughs> and then two, I think I got from a red box and played over a weekend. And then three, I think I had from GameFly for like a month. So Never actually bought them, which feels kind of bad because I do think that they're really good games. The problem I ever had with them is that I just never really had the desire to finish them because once I just made a bunch of cool stuff and killed a bunch of stuff, it like kind of burnt out really quick. Same thing on your point. I owned Dead Rising three separate times. I owned, <laughs> I owned it on disc, got rid of it. I owned it on Xbox 360 digital, got rid of my 360. Finally owned it on PS4 because they had a deal with the second game. This so, is all just with the first one? Or? It's all just the first one. <laughs> just the first one. I've owned three separate times. Amazing. Never beaten it any of those second those two times. Oh, my God. But when I had it on my PS4, I finally sat down and played it. And I completely agree with you of why I stopped playing the game was because, yeah, I built, I made a whole bunch of shit. I killed a bunch of little zombies, and I was done with it. That's all I wanted. It's, it's I feel it's... Maybe minus one or two things. It's probably the most perfect zombie game you're going to get. It doesn't have too many gimmicks. The only two gimmicks in this game are the save, which I don't feel is that big of a deal. I think when it jumped, when the game came to 360 and people were so used to just saving right then and there, people weren't happy that they had to run to a bathroom to save. I can get that, but I mean, it wasn't a big deal. My biggest gripe with the game was the limited time survivor missions. So when you got done doing your main mission, you had to go, you had time to kill. So they would tell you, oh, there's a survivor in the sporting goods section, or there's a survivor over in the grocery section. And you had a limited time to go save them and then get them back to the safe house. And when you went to get the survivor, maybe there was a psycho there. I know the one mission I did was going to the grocery store, and there was some guy who had a sharp 
pointy objects all in the shopping cart trying to run you down. And, like, those were good diversions. But when you were just killing time in between the game, the survivor part was kind of annoying. But after, I think, after the third time I got it and I actually sat down and played it, the game definitely just kept going. I felt like, okay, cool, you did your 72 hours, and then you're gone. No, you, you stay on longer. <laughs> you, you go for almost a full week, and uh, these uh, cultists show up in the movie theater, and then these army guys just show up randomly. But, I mean, it's a great game just, again, to kill time. But, I mean, one of the, um, one of the first truest gaming zombie games that are out there, I mean, you got Dying Light, you got Dead Island, which are zombie games, but they have a gimmick to them parkour or your stamina or you can't kill a zombie in a headshot yeah and i hate those things like i like this is the only zombie game i ever really was able to play it's not really my thing and i definitely don't really play any kind of like horror games because i don't like horror anything movies games really anything like that which you'll also know if you listen to the popcorn and potables episodes because i refuse to be on any episode regarding horror movies but yeah this one was like okay they're zombies and they're definitely scary but it's that kind of Zombieland-esque, like, it's funny, and they're not that threatening, and also all these comedic ways to kill them is, like, fun, so I can get behind it. Yeah, you have that mass of zombies. It's not one or two going after you where you have that fear. There's 50, 60, 70 zombies on the screen, and you just have a giant axe killing them. And You're- the play style is very GTA-esque, so it's easy to walk right into because I've played every Grand Theft Audio. Grand Theft Auto? Fuck me. And, like... It's pretty much the same place out a lot of the same controls and, and the same like movement kind of ideas. So it was an easy game to jump into even the first time. I want to ask you, so you're definitely like the first one is your favorite of the series? Uh, yes, absolutely. The second one had another gimmick on top of it. It took place in a cooler. It took in a, a Las Vegas style place, which is again really cool. The story's okay, but they had an aspect of you had to find uh, pretty much a zombie suppressant for your daughter and you had to give it to her every 12 hours. So on top of saving the survivors and doing all those missions, you also had to make sure you got back to the safe house in time. Right. So it was, See, I liked that part. It just felt like there was a, like the story was more important and it wasn't as much just random killing. So I appreciated that. But even with that set, it didn't give me the desire to finish it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's one of those games where you have to kind of like just dedicate a weekend or a good four or five hours to just play through. Like, doesn't matter, just go through. Now, if you're going to be a completionist in this game, then yeah, you'll you'll enjoy yeah. it. But if you're going for the story, you need a couple hours here and there, for sure. My number ten, I had a really hard time with this. I honestly think that like my one through nine, I'm very good with. And it's 10, and all my honorable mentions I feel like I could have tossed in and out. My number 10, I said, was Super Mario World for Super Nintendo. Not only, I mean, I probably would have had it up there when it came out. And even now, being able to play it on my Switch, on the SNES, you know, on demand or whatever they call Mm it, is, it's one of the only games I play on there. And honestly, probably the only reason that I am even willing to pay for that thing is because that game is on there. It's that good. It's my favorite Mario by a long shot. Kind of the way we just talked about it. I mean, you can just run through that game and you can run straight line through it. And it's an easy pickup, but it's challenging. It's that perfect combination of, you know, I I mean, there's people that can speed run it and stuff like that. But, you know, if I play it now, I can probably go through the whole thing and only die a handful of times. But there's no way that you're you're going through it and not dying. It's complicated enough that you can lose, but it's not so hard that you're throwing the controller that you're getting pissed off. It's a fun, welcoming challenge. 
and I feel like it in- incorporates a lot of the elements of Mario that we love. It has just enough secrets and side stuff mm-hmm. without being overly complicated, being over you don't have to do any of those. So there's there's a good amount of optionality, challenge and and fun and the replay value is just through the roof. And you know, like this may somewhat be a nod to the entire franchise as a whole, but to me, like that's my favorite game of the franchise. So felt like it had to be represented on here. So that's the one that I would pick. Yeah, it's one of the best made Super Mario's, uh, just with what you said with how you play it and everything. You can run through it if you want to. You can sift through and get all the secrets done. It's probably the most complete Super Mario game ever made. Yeah, I, I can. I mean, you know, some of the newer ones get really involved. I mean, even 64 had a whole ton going on. Odyssey is great. Uh, Sunshine was, was pretty good. You know, the, like, it, it hasn't fallen off really to, to me to me at all. But something about the Super Nintendo one just sticks out to me. It, it was probably between this and Mario 3 that I was really torn on. But, but I feel like Mario World is it, just a little bit better. The, the jump in the graphics is insane. Mm-hmm. The different level styles. Power ups are, are really cool. The power ups, yeah. So uh, everything and and the the tough part with three, especially once you replay it, is once you know how to jump all the worlds, you basically never replay the game oh, normally. Yeah. Was a whistling uh, one three? I think it yeah, is. Yeah, you, you could pretty much get to eight in about seven minutes. So my number nine game uh, is going to be Saints Row the Third. Dan, did you play any of the Saints Row games? I feel like I'm, I think Xbox, you know, we we're mentioning their free games. I think they may have had one of these one time and I downloaded it and I'm honestly not sure I ever turned it on. If I did, I turned it on once and didn't play it again. But I'm familiar with the games and they always did look entertaining. I've read good reviews and it just hasn't come around. So tell me why this is number nine on your list. Okay, so the first Saints Row was just a GTA clone. That's really well all it was. They don't really have a lot of uh, what the, the game has now, which is humor. The game is uh, jam-packed with laughs. Just cues that I'll talk to you about when we get to three. Uh, it had some of that in the DLC of the first game. Uh, the second game came out, had a lot more humor into it. Not that much, but enough to like keep the game interesting. And actually, shockingly, the second game has ties with the Red Faction series, which were both made by THQ. So you go around, you see little things here and there that ties in with Red Faction. But three is absolutely the best. They just went balls to the wall. The character creator, you literally could make anybody you want. You can give him whatever action you want. Nolan North was one of the voices that you could you played just as Nolan North. And the uh, I think it may be the second mission. A lot of people say it's the first mission, but technically it's the second mission, is where you're assaulting a penthouse to Kanye West's power playing in the background. And if you do not feel like a badass mm-hmm. playing that aspect of just hearing Kanye West, you, you just give up. Just stop That's playing the game. Cool. And the game is just, there's a lot of side quests. There's a, a Genki Bowl game, which is just mini games, but it's voiced by Rob Van Dam, as you know, from one of the wrestlers. The whole um, off and show, baby. Yes. <laughs> and there was a lot of just really cool side quests you can do that, that definitely mix it up because you had your main missions you still had to do. But then you had, uh, what was the, um, you had a medical thing where you had to run your body into cars to get enough money but they changed to where you could just fling your body all over the place. You had weapons, which uh, the most notorious one is the big giant purple dodo you use as a sword. Okay. Um, you also had a uh, dubstep gun. You could dual wield almost any other gun. Uh, there was a part in the game where it was just zombies in the middle of the island. But again, going back to it, the, the game was one of the best games that had humor in it. There's a couple games out there that have humor, and it, and it kind of works a lot of uh, the Double Fine games. Uh, Tim Schafer games, which is like Psychonauts and Brutal Legend, they have humor in them, but it almost kind of feels forced. Where uh, 
Saints Row the Third kind of was just like, you know what? Just fuck it. Let's just play around with it. And it, it's, I feel it's a great aspect. If you want over-the-top, ridiculous Grand Theft Auto, but a game that's going to make you laugh, definitely pop it in. They just released the remaster for Xbox One and PS4. Uh, a lot, I know a lot of people are giving it bad reviews, and I think they're only giving it bad reviews because it's a nine-year-old game. But, I mean, again, if you want GTA and you want to laugh, pick it up, play it. It's worth it. Yeah, and a lot of times when you remaster things, I mean, especially with the day and age we're living, I mean, some things just don't age well. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you know, I can appreciate that, but it doesn't change that at the time. It may have been, you know, very well-revered and everything. I think that a lot of the GTA games probably don't age very well. Oh, no. I mean, even the the newest one is, is pretty non-PC. I mean, it's kind of the point of those games. You know, it is it is adult content and directed that way, but you could definitely go back through the history, uh, you know, really starting from, like, 3 and all the ones that really had, like, stories and whatnot, mm-hmm. and Vice City and San Andreas, and probably find a lot of things that maybe you can't get away with today, but at the time, it wasn't necessarily the same vibe. Uh, before I get into my number 9, I just want to uh, thank you, Steve, for bringing me this Glass Town Brewing Mosaic, man. Oh, absolutely. Uh, this is a uh, hoppy boy, real light. Uh, you can crush it. It smells like a fresh cut lawn, which I appreciate because I don't cut my lawn because my allergies are crazy and I pay somebody to do it. That's that money talk. But uh, this is very good. I'm a big fan of Glass Town. I'm hoping that's probably at the top of our list of places we want to try to get to once life kind of resumes. Their big breakfast has been featured on pods before and is one of my favorite beers brewed in the state of New Jersey. So shout out to our friends at Glass Town Brewing for this Mosaic Man, which has this awesome Mega Man artwork on the can which is why steve picked it up doing the video game pod makes sense i love it i will make sure to post a picture of that on our instagram make sure you check that out at process potables my number nine i was not sure if i should put this on at all originally i had this closer to my top five and decided that i felt it was kind of cheap to do so because of where the original lies which is some foreshadowing but anybody who knows me will already know probably where that is but my number nine is the final fantasy 7 remake for the playstation 4 it is that good it is absolutely that good and the reason that i feel very comfortable having it on the list is it's not even close to the same game this isn't a remaster this isn't just a a, a graphics update for the playstation 4 it's an entire new game anyone who's familiar with final fantasy 7 will be familiar that you start the game in midgar you probably get out of midgar I don't know if you play at an average pace and do a decent amount of, you know, grinding and whatnot, five, six hours, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're really there all that long. The remake right now, at least, is just Midgar. Oh, really? And I pumped, I'd say about 40 hours oh. into it. Now, I did everything, but there's not that much side stuff. And they level cap it, too, so you can't grind that crazy and the other great part, not only is the story expanded that much, there's so much more character development. You get so much more time with characters like Biggs, Wedge, and Jesse, which you barely get any in the original. And I think it's, is it Wedge is voiced by uh, Gopher from Breaking Bad? Yes, yes, it is him. Oh, Badger, Badger, sorry. <laughs> Gopher, what the hell? Badger from Breaking Bad. The girl from Glow, who is uh, Mark Marone's daughter, voices Tifa. Alison Brie, I think? No, Alison Brie's the main character. I don't remember this girl's name. She's absolutely gorgeous and does a great job voicing Tifa. When you talk about a game that has emotion, that has laughter, that has humor, like, you know, the original one had all those things, but you're just, like, reading it. This one is fully voiced. The cutscenes are amazing. The the world looks amazing. 
The story is drawn out. It's not the same story at all. There's so much more that they add, and the gameplay is awesome. For me, who doesn't play a ton of newer games, and a lot of times when it's a play style I'm not familiar with can turn me off of something like that, this was just easy enough to pick up while still being a very challenging game. I played it on like the, the hardest difficulty it lets you at the start, which is like the new controls, the new battle style, and then... The other cool part, which I haven't even dove into yet because I wanted to like give myself a break and almost do it all again, is once you beat it on that mode, then there's like a new game plus where you can go back, you can work to getting to the level cap, and you can like 100% the game. And there's things you can only unlock in like new game plus, and it's also incredibly more challenging. And I believe they don't let you use items at all. Really? So, so I only played the demo of it, and I raved to you how great the demo is. So you're telling me pretty much. You got 40 hours out of the game, which is in essentially the first disc of the game itself. So you almost have a full-fledged game. It's The first disc goes beyond Midgar. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not even the whole first disc of the three-disc set that was the original. And you actually gave yourself time in between of the game so you can actually savor it. You didn't want to rush through it. And that's 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 dedication. That's I mean, that Oh, yeah, is- I was going to beat it that weekend, and then I realized how miserable I would be, so I tried to space it out about two weeks, and then I was in a total funk for a week after I was done with it because it was the only thing I had going at that point because of this quarantine stuff. Oh my gosh! I mean, I, it's it's definitely on my list to play. Um, I think the I'm playing Final Fantasy 15 right now because I got it dirt cheap, and I could definitely see they made Final Fantasy 15 for Final Fantasy 7 because as I said, just playing the demo, a lot of the things are the same. It is. It definitely is. I, I would agree with that. The play style is is kind of similar, and that probably did help me be okay with because I have played 15 and I liked 15 um, a lot more than I liked pretty much everything since 11. Uh, 15, 7, the best one, 11 was online, so that that was whole, different, and I used to have to stay up till 3 a.m. and play with a bunch of Japanese people because no one in this country played that game, but uh, 11 was actually really fun. The only problem was you couldn't play alone. The enemies were too difficult. You basically had to have a party of six to play the game. Uh, it was very complicated, but I can't recommend the remake enough. I would honestly be interested to see somebody who hasn't played the original what their reaction to this game would be, if it's as enjoyable, if it's even more enjoyable. I think the nostalgia helped, but again, it's not it's not a uh, it's not a remaster. It's a remake. It's an entirely different game. It is the same story with so much more that uh, it's truly incredible. And I can't wait till the you know it's probably going to be a while and it sucks, but they are eventually going to have the whole game. And if they space it out like this one, then I. I have no idea what's to come. Oh, yeah, so as long as you're not waiting that, what, 17 years that we were promised for? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a while. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, we lucked out that it came during this quarantine because that was honestly the, the perfect timing for me oh, to yeah. actually be able to sit down and give it the attention that I wanted to that probably would have been difficult otherwise if the world was going on as normal. All right, so going down for mine, number eight, uh, I chose the sequel to this game, which I'm sure some people will probably get a little mad about with, but uh, I chose for number eight, Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty. I actually enjoyed this game a lot more than I actually liked the original Metal Gear Solid. I liked Raiden. I thought he was a cool character. Yeah, he was wimpy. I'm not going to lie, but I, I think this was one of the first games where I actually... 100% everything. and Wow. Yeah, and, and I don't do that that often. I usually plow through games, or I'll savor some games, but, like, I got it at the time where I had a job, but I also had my own paycheck so I can pay for my own things, and I would just, you know, I would get home from work and just play Metal Gear Solid Sons of Liberty all the time. I got, 
you know, all the collectibles. I mean, the, I mean, I got all that stuff. And then the the, the boss fights were memorable. Um, I mean, the fight with Vamp was really cool. The first fight with Olga when you're actually uh, Solid Snake was really cool because you could actually switch to a first-person view and shoot her. And then the story with Solid Snake, and I don't want to ruin who Solid Snake is just in case no one's played this game, which, I mean, someone sh- should have played this game. I mean, there's, there's no way to avoid this game. Yeah, uh, I only played the first one and this one. I liked the first one a lot more, but I liked them both. Uh, I didn't play anything after, but I've always loved this series. This is I wasn't good at the first one, and I wasn't really good at this one either. This is one of those games, I don't know if you have a lot of games like this, but one of my friends in middle school like had the first one, and honestly, like I liked watching him play the game more than I liked playing the game. I actually enjoyed watching the gameplay of this. Oh yeah, it's a definitely it's a good game to get yourself involved into the story. I mean, it's it's a game that you yeah you sit back and you watch because like yeah the the action is really cool. I mean that the sneaking around is really cool, but the stuff that they do in between the actual fighting of the uh, fighting in the game and the story that you deal with it's enjoyable. I mean, and I said this is um, it's made by Hideo Kojima, which as we know is a masterful storyteller and. It may be one of his best works he's done. Uh, he did three, Metal Gear Solid 3, Metal Gear Solid 4. He technically did Metal Gear Solid 5, but we know the whole debacle with Konomi over that. Uh, I mean, he is just a master storyteller, and I, I completely agree with you of being sit, sitting there watching someone play because it you're watching an interactive movie. I mean, and the gameplay, like the gameplay, you know, there's strategy to it. There's stealth, there's strategy, and, you know, at least to the point that the, when the first one came out, like there weren't, I don't know if there was really any other game like that. Like I remember playing the first one on PS one and being like, wait, like I can't just shoot my way through mm-hmm. here. Like I have to hide. And basically if they see me, like I'm probably screwed and dead. Like that was a pretty new concept to me. Like that. I don't really recall games like that on like super Nintendo really, or anything like that. This was kind of the, the first experience of that. And like I said, I wasn't good at it, but my friends at were like, I liked watching him. I liked seeing the, the strategy. I liked seeing, what they had to do. I just wasn't good at executing it. So I appreciated it and I respected it, but I struggle to enjoy games that I'm not good at. That's mm-hmm. just a personal issue for me, but it doesn't take away from, from how much I enjoyed the game. My number eight is the legend of Zelda Ocarina of time on N64 more foreshadowing. This is not the only Zelda entry on my list. I was very unsure about picking more than one game, but this series is the only one that, uh, has multiple entries on my list, and I think rightfully so. There are so many games I could pick. Almost every game in this series I absolutely love. is very difficult, but Ocarina of Time was like life-changing for me. Probably my favorite N64 game. I debated putting things like GoldenEye and WrestleMania 2000 on this list because of how much I played them, and especially because like playing four players with my friends. But... You know, when I wasn't with my friends, I wasn't really playing either of those games. Yeah. Like WrestleMania, to a degree, yeah. GoldenEye, you know, the the story was fine, but you played that game for multiple. Oh, absolutely. So while I I love and cherish those games, and, and the same thing with like a Smash Brothers, but with Zelda, obviously the story, the characters, the the graphics, this game is just a masterpiece, and I know a lot of people have this probably even higher than I do on a lot of their lists, but but to me, this is. Probably the greatest N64 game, and N64 is one of my favorite consoles. I, unfortunately, have never played this game. Holy shit. I've never played any N64 Zelda game. That is a straight-up truth. I think the last Zelda game I played was A Link to the Past on the Game Boy Color. 
Oh my god. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I I didn't have an N sixty four growing up. Um, I did have friends who owned the game, but I never got the appeal of the game. Uh, I mean, I know the memes. I know about the Water Temple. I know about um, was a Song of Storms. I think it's called. That's one of them. Uh, that's I'm all in, I know. I'm in shock, man. I I've never played this game, and I'm not gonna lie. I don't. I don't know if I ever had the intention of playing this game. You need to play this game, dude. I will. I will. I, if I get enough people giving me shit about it, I will sit down and play this. I game. don't know how you got this far without people giving you shit about it, but I'm sure they will after they hear this. So. Oh yeah, now it's out in public. All right. Well, I guess tell me, tell me number seven then. <laughs> okay. Well, this whole thing just took a <laughs> really big turn for me. Well, uh, I added a game that is part of your. Well, not the game on your list, but it's part of the series. I have as my number. Seven game, Final Fantasy Nine. I actually feel, my personal opinion, I like this Final Fantasy more than Final Fantasy Seven. Um, it's the one I spent the most time with. I did play Final Fantasy Seven. I'm going to flip this table. Don't flip the table. Too much equipment and you're going to spill your beer I got you. I just felt the, st- I, I, I meshed with the characters. I meshed with Zidane. Uh, I meshed with Dagger and what was her name? Garnet, Vivi, all the characters. It was a nice... Uh, step back into the actual fantasy aspect of Final Fantasy, the medieval style stuff, but they also had the slight step of technology. And, I mean, it was a four-disc game, so, I mean, it was one one disc bigger than Final Fantasy VII, so I had it that over it. But Dan, Dan's just staring at me. I shouldn't have said that. Um, I just, the story for Final Fantasy now is very good. It's way too easy. The gameplay what? was very boring. I absolutely crushed that game. Really? I never played it again because just wasn't a challenge seven very difficult game especially if you try to do all the side stuff especially all the chocobo breeding without actually cheating or reading up on it and getting all the summons like knights around and whatnot Mm -hmm. and eight which is i love eight and most people hate it which was also four disc which doesn't make it better (laughs) but eight was very very difficult arguably the hardest final boss in a final fantasy probably between eight and ten and like eight got shit on. And then I felt like eight was so difficult. And I always thought that people hated eight because they probably couldn't beat it because they're trash, but I beat it because I'm awesome. Yeah. And then they put nine out and they were like, all right, sorry. It was so difficult. Here's a layup. (laughs) So story's great. Characters are great. Don't deny that. But the gameplay was gameplay sucked, man. It's so easy. Like this was, this was an elementary school kids, final fantasy game. Well, I mean that that's fair. People aren't going to like that from me, but well, uh, they may not. I mean, I respect your decision. I mean, I bashed on you first, so I mean, I uh, thoughtfully right to throw it back. I mean, you're absolutely right. The the things that you say about Final Fantasy IX make absolutely sense. Uh, I completely agree with you on certain aspects of it. It is an easy game, but I agree with you that I think the story is great. I think it it's is. a really good story. I mean, it has ties to Final Fantasy VII with that main protagonist and having a past to that main protagonist. And you know, I mean, almost all. I mean, all their games generally have that at least through the first ten. They, they always do a great job with the story and the lead character, which I think is why the entire series I'm so strongly driven to because I think it's a very, like, a lot of games really kind of miss you with connecting to that main character and having interest. And I think that's something Final Fantasy has always done well is getting you early on to be like, okay, like, this guy's cool. And then, you know, whether the past be troubled or, or overcoming something or, or a lot of them, you know, where they're conflicted on who they are. I mean, those are things that everybody can identify to, maybe not necessarily in more of like the sci-fi way they do it or the fantasy way that they do it a lot to some degree, but there are a lot of, you know, real-life parallels to those things, and especially when you're growing up with them. Mm -hmm. It kind of weirdly fits into that mold, even though I don't think that's necessarily the intent. It just adds to 
how great the storytelling and the story itself is, which I think is why, you know, this series is one of the, you know, most acclaimed series of games. And I completely, completely agree with you. The Final Fantasy games came out when we were growing up, so we were in our teens, and we definitely connected with it. And that's why I think we have a love for the Final Fantasy games, even though we may disagree on certain things. We grew up, and that's when actually I think uh, it was at the time Squaresoft cared about the games. They actually yeah. put some... F- thought into it now like they i mean this was before they did final fantasy what was it, 11 was online and 13 11 13 and 14 i think were all online yes and i don't think they cared i think they wanted was money 13? yeah i think 13 i don't i don't remember no, i think it's 11 and 14 really okay then oh yeah 13 had uh lightning in it you're yeah. absolutely right um but yeah they, and that we were i think we were in our mid-20s when that, those came out and i mean 11 came out i was i was still very young for 11. There's a big gap between 11 and 12, I think. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's your number seven. Uh, staying in the line of these RPGs, my next one at number seven is Chrono Trigger for Super Nintendo. And almost the exact opposite of Final Fantasy, where this game is incredible. The story was great. The gameplay was amazing. The replayability of this game, like I could literally end that game and start right back up similar to uh you know one of the only times i'd really seen this and the reason i'm familiar with the idea without even having played the like new game plus for the final fantasy 7 remake is chrono trigger was the first game that i remember having that new game plus option the upsetting thing about this game to me that like i i can't really hold it against the game itself is that you know th- this could have been a successful franchise mm-hmm. along maybe even better than Final Fantasy if they would have, you know, developed it and 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 hit their stride with it and instead, you know, nothing happens for years and then we get like Chrono Cross on PlayStation which was okay, yeah, I yeah. guess. It it was not a good game. It, I think a lot of people who were excited that there was another Chrono style game, Chrono Trigger game in the bucket ready to go play and you find out that has none of the characters in it. Yeah. And I mean, you can you could sell a, a you can sell a game and a, a movie franchise on the name. You can definitely do that on certain aspects. This was the wrong move they did. Yeah. So very upsetting, and I feel like if they would have hit even just you know two or so games after this, then not only would Chrono Trigger probably be higher up, but you know just the the acclaim that we just spoke about the Final Fantasy series, regardless of where we lie on individual titles. I don't think anybody really disagrees at how not only successful, but how just legitimately great that series is. And Chrono Trigger, if Chrono Trigger is the first game in your series, like you are so set Mm -hmm. up for success and they just completely dropped the ball with it. But Chrono Trigger itself is a standalone game. Absolutely incredible. Just a shame that that that's all it really is, is is a one-off game to me. Yeah. And, and I agree with you. And I, I think Chrono Trigger may have had the first, decision based decision in a game where you can actually if you remember the part you can eat that guy's meal i forget what part of the game but you can walk up eat some guy's food and then when chrono goes to court that guy actually testifies against you and i never thought about that i'm just like oh this guy's going up going after me i'm like oh yeah he's food but my buddy was telling me i think a year later he goes yeah you can totally skip that part and he would never come after you i'm like are you shitting me i didn't know that yeah i i th- 
maybe not to that degree. I, I agree that may be the first like instance where it's it kind of comes back later mm-hmm. and ties in, which is interesting. And then obviously there are you know memorable moments after that to go back to Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy Seven, where you're in the uh, wall market and all your actions decide which girl that Don Corneo is actually going to choose, whether it, it's uh, Aerith, Tifa, or Cloud. So. <laughs> <laughs> and and then how you treat all the characters in that game for basically one and a half discs leads to who's going to come to your room when you're at the uh, gold saucer and ride the gondola with you. So if you're completely shit to both Tifa and Aerith, Barrett will come to your <laughs> room. What I had. But if you favor one over the other, then that's the one that will come to your room in that, in that segment. But yeah, uh, again, just it, truly terrible that 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 wasn't the case. And a game that kind of fits into that mold for me that a lot of people have like on a list this high and stuff would be earthbound with earthbound. We're the U S is still waiting for the release of mother three, which is the Japanese name for the earthbound series. I see if you're number six, my number number six, six. definitely. I think the first game I ever pre-ordered, um, far cry two. I think it definitely meets strides for the first person shooter, uh, genre. Uh, it added some things. I wish that they still did in games today. Uh, the one aspect, I'm sure people hate this, but whenever you picked up a gun that was not yours, it could jam, it could break. I thought that aspect was great. I wish they had that more in games and make them a little bit more real life. I mean, they had the whole, you had to take malaria pills every couple of hours because you got malaria because you're in Africa. Um, I thought that was great because it definitely switched it up. Um, when uh, you got your mission, they just told you what to do. Like They're like, you have to go to this base doesn't matter how you want to do it. You do it. And I thought that was great because it definitely added your own ingenuity. Uh, I can't say the word. Uh, ingenuity? Yes, ingenuity into it. Uh, you can use whatever weapons you wanted to do. Uh, and, I mean, the, the one of the things I think the other Far Cry's did use, that definitely in Far Cry 3, was the uh, fire physics. You could throw a Molotov cocktail or a grenade into the bush, and it would burst on fire. And then, depending on how the wind was moving in the game, the fire would spread. But everything about that game, it was just, it was massive. And they didn't tell you what to do. They just gave you the mission. You had to go find the jackal and kill the jackal because you're a mercenary. But that's all there was. You could find diamonds, which was your currency. You could find um, diary pages, which were from the previous mercenary who was in your shoes trying to take down a jackal. But I th- it was just an open, long game. The ending was a little controversial. I don't know if you've ever played it, Dan, or not. No. It was a very controversial ending, kind of like uh, a ma- the Mass Effect 3 ending, where like it wasn't really an ending. It just kind of just like ended. And it it wasn't the ending wasn't good. But uh, everything about that game was great. I mean, people are still clamoring for a remaster. They remastered Far Cry 3, which is good. I mean, that was a good game. But, I mean, Far Cry 2, I mean, if people pick that up now and just see what Ubisoft did with that series you would be blown away. Yeah, never played a game in this series except I own the newest one. Far Cry 5. Because my friend like was forcing me to try to play it and forced me to watch him play it. And then I think I got it from Gamefly for like five bucks. Which is not a bad deal. Not at all. I've never put it in my console. Ah. So it's still sitting on my shelf over there. You know, it, it looked... I've, I'd watched people stream it like once or twice. Like... Weirdly enough, like streamers that I watched for other games, like around the time that it had come out, randomly popped it in, even though it wasn't even the style mm-hmm. of a game that they played. It looked great, like visually, and the gameplay looked 
okay, but like I, it just nothing about it really jumps out. Is this like you need to play this game? And I, and I still don't really know what that reason would be. But I I have it and I'm holding on to it because I figure at some point there's going to be a lull. And I'll get through the games that I have, and I'll pop it in and see what happens. Yeah, I played all the Far Cries, and I definitely think Far Cry 5 is a really good point to jump into. Um, because, I mean, there is some correlations between Far Cry 3 and Far Cry 4 with one character. That's pretty much about it. But, I mean, it was the first Far Cry game that actually took place on American soil. The story is really great. The weapons are really good. Side missions are really good. So, uh, even though you have the game sitting on your shelf, definitely play it when you have a lull. Because it's, it's definitely worth it. Just the gun... Gun, gun, uh, even the gunplay and other things, it definitely just makes you feel a little bit more involved into it. All right, my number six, and I don't really know that I need to spend a lot of time explaining this because most people will be familiar, but Grand Theft Auto 4, I think it's the best one in the series. A lot of them are great. Three's really great. I was pretty torn between this and Vice City. I really, really enjoyed Vice City. And five is really good. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of San Andreas, but you know, still a fine game. They really haven't done any wrong since three to me. Like one and two were pretty tough, you know, with the with the graphics that they had back uh, then. Like playing that overhead yeah, the style top down, which it was yeah. like was just fun for screwing around. But I never actually tried to play the game. It's just like, oh, I can drive this car around town, and then like cops start shooting at me. Like, ah, that's funny. But you know, starting with three, like three was awesome. But three was also one where we used to just put in like the unlimited ammo and all guns cheat code and, tank, just, yeah. and yeah, and, and just go nuts. So four was the first one that I really remember like diving into and it's probably a maturity thing, you know, like that was around the time where like I was at least finally able to, you know, like follow along with the stories and understand the stories and, and appreciate them more. So four was awesome for that. The map was crazy. The story was actually good. The, uh, the ability to like to to upgrade your houses and actually like have relationships, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and be able to like call up somebody and hang out with them was like actually very interesting. Cousin, you want to go bowling? Yeah, like those things were really cool to me, and and it all like to in a lesser way. You know, we mentioned like simulation games are like it almost felt like playing like The Sims, but not some corny thing where like they can't get out of a pool and, and they're drowning. Like, you, <laughs> you know, I am ladder. living in this world and I'm doing jobs and I'm, and I'm hanging out with people like, you know, almost, I guess, like like a second life or something. Yeah. But, you know, like it seemed way less corny because I'm going around mowing down people and taking on cops and shooting people and like, you know, having fun. And there's also actual missions mm-hmm. and a story to complete and a game to beat where, you know, those other things don't necessarily have that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I agree with you. It's it's one of the most um, involved Grand Theft Auto games. Uh, I mean, it was, it was very grounded. There was no jetpacks or anything crazy like that. Yeah, you can hang out with people. You could date a girl. You could date two, two different girls. There's other things you could do. It was probably, I, I want to say, closest to a real-world GTA you can get. Yeah. Um, not including 5, because 5... Five's just, just insane. Five's like sensory yeah. overload. Oh, absolutely. Me. I mean, it, it's a great setting, but like four was great. You just, I said four was just a breathing city. That's all it was. Yeah. I, I think that I could see that somebody might think that like five is a lot better. Or if, if you like the thing like Vice City more, possibly I can get it. But I feel like four is like the, the blend of all those games, all the best parts of, you know, three through five and, and all the, you know, spinoff type ones. It like encompasses all the best things of them and, and has a, like an actual great story too. Like I really like five and the gameplay is really clean and the world is insane, but I don't really like the characters and like it, it kind of just, it's the first game that it really felt like I was just doing the same thing. It didn't feel that fresh or new or anything. I, I didn't like the characters all that much. 
you know, I, I, I kind of felt for, for the characters in four versus the, the guys in five who all just seem kind of shitty. Yeah, the five was just a, a ragtag team brought together. Yeah, and they all had that's their own, fun, but yeah, they, and they they all had their own thing. But like you said, with, when you're playing Nico Bellic, it's you're, yeah. you're you're him. You're yep. actually him. Yeah, I, I yeah, I couldn't agree more. Steve, number five, number five, Resident Evil Four. I don't do horror, so this is all you. Okay, These games are too scary for me. <laughs> I haven't played uh, Resident Evil 7. Uh, I'm with you. It's a very scary game. Uh, that's So I don't really have any memories with Resident Evil 7. But Resident Evil 4, I think, took the series to a new level. Uh, they got rid of the tank controls. You pretty much, as self-explanatory, you moved up to press up, down, press down, left, left, left to go left, left to uh, right to go right. But you had to go in a circular motion. This one was a third-person shooter. Um, it, it gave you a laser targeting for your gun. The inventory management system was great because you could only carry certain things. A lot of people forget that most of the game was a uh, escort mission. Uh, you had Ashley, who was the president's daughter, but she was one of the smartest uh, AI companions in any video games. She wouldn't get in the way when you shoot. If you were aiming at a uh, Ganado, which were the zombies in the game, she would duck. You can go tell her to hide. Uh, that it, sounds so nice. Yeah, <laughs> coming from games with such shitty AI. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is Kingdom Hearts. Oh God! Holy shit! I know exactly what They're you're talking so about. So goddamn stupid. And then the, Resident Evil Four has some really good characters. Um, I forget the guy's name. I should have done my research, but he was your um, he was your assistant in the game. He was your partner, I guess, and he was great. Uh, when you guys were swarmed in a house, you would go actually clear certain parts of the room. You wouldn't have to worry about them. It was a smart game. You had the merchant. I mean, I'm not going to do the voice because everyone knows the voice and I'm not going to get a cheap pop out of it. Um, but the merchant was a really good aspect of the game. The And it mixed up. It wasn't just zombies. It was the Ganados, which was um, also known as the Los Plagas, if I remember. And they were like a parasite. So you still had your zombies. They're shuffling around. But then you killed a guy and like this giant centipede would come out of its head. And it was just, it was a different aspect. And then they had um, the Mercenary bonus game, which was pretty much just a time trial of certain areas of the map. But it actually lets you run around and just kill shit. And it was great. Um, Resident Evil 5 followed right after that, and it just wasn't good. It just, it it was lacking something. Because you, you had a, par- again, you had a partner for the entire game. But, like, that's, that, that's when Resident Evil went off the rails. Resident Evil 4, pretty much, they kept it where it was grounded. They kept it to where it was still believable. Resident Evil 5 threw everything out of the window. Yeah, I mean, 4 is the one that from people I know that enjoy these games, they seem to go back to. I I may be wrong, but I feel like it's 4, it's 2, and I feel like a lot of people liked 7. I know. You, did, did, did you say you hadn't played it yet? I played about two and a half hours of it. Oh, okay. Um, and it's all first person, which is really cool. Um, you don't like horror. I like horror. I don't like jump scares. I don't like cheap scares. And that's what I didn't like about the game was... About seven? About seven, okay. absolutely. Yeah, you would walk around a house first person. You know, you would have a gun. You would have all those things. But you would just turn around and then all of a sudden someone was there. And, yeah, I see. I can't do that. Yeah, and exactly. I'm with you. I don't... I want to be generally scared. I don't want to be just scared for a split second and then be okay. Like, right. give me that terror. Yeah, suspense is fine. Thrill is fine. The jump scare stuff and my, my heart jumping out of my chest for really no good reason. And then just like shoot something and be like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this is not, not appealing to me, but you know, teach their own. Mm. All right. My number five, Halo two for Xbox. 
we we've talked a little bit about you know online player stuff. You know, I didn't put Goldeneye on here because I I mostly only played it for the multiplayer and stuff like that. This is, I guess, probably when I look at the rest of my list. I mean, this is the there's there's one other. I mean, this is the the game as far as incredible single player, incredible campaign, and the amount of hours I played online as well. I I'm scared to talk about. This game had it all. The series pretty much has all that, but two was my favorite. Two included, you know, a, a lot more weapons, a much better multiplayer, the online features, uh, like dual wielding and things like that. Uh, I thought, you know, it, it was a much bigger expansion to the story. The first one gets the job done, great story, pulls you into the series, and then they obviously take it to the next step with two. I was torn on, on two or three. I like them both, but two is the one that really sticks out to me. I think that the combination of campaign, whether I played it alone or, or did multiplayer campaign or played online or played local multiplayer, all those things in number two just, just made that one the special one to me. And the the difference in the jump between one and two versus two to anything else was so huge. And like they probably didn't have to do that. One was such a success mm -hmm. that they probably could have sat back on their hands and gotten away with putting out a shit follow-up and people would have ate it up anyway. But instead, like they absolutely knocked it out of the park, made a ton of adjustments, a ton of upgrades, and I just thought it was a fantastic game. And what I was going to say on top of that is, yeah, you're absolutely right, because with Halo 1, it came out for PC, and there was multiplayer, and Halo 1 was a good multiplayer game, mm -hmm. when you, especially when you played local co-op. But, I mean, you got to think about it. Halo 2 was the first Halo game technically for consoles to be online. like, And to nail all of that right out of the bar yeah. is amazing. Yeah, and... And not only, you know, like if you play like a, like a, like a lot of these battle royales, I mean, there's, there's like one way to play basically. Sometimes they have limited time modes and stuff like that, but Halo had all these things. You have, you have your team slayer, you have regular slayer, you have capture the flag, you have uh, like the big team battles, like all these things. Like it wasn't just, okay, we, we go online and kill it. There, there was something for everybody, you know, eventually it moves on to, you know, even having like the, uh, like the rocket races and stuff like that, you know, that I don't think that was in two, but just the, the point that their m online multiplayer ha had so much diversity and, and ways to enjoy it as well. That wasn't just, okay, like I need to go on and be this absolute powerhouse killing machine. Cause that's not everybody's MO and, you know, not everybody's this elite, you know, uh, you know, first person shooter gamer and they still had had other ways that you could play you know you, and you could they and the fact that they custom lobbies too the fact that you could go in and set custom games to just do like sword fights or or, or limit the weapons and stuff like that just like like so many of those things were were so incredible at the time to think of that that were offered in in, in few to no games that uh i honestly at this point i feel like that game no longer gets the credit that it should uh for things that it, it, for for the most part it was you know, very far ahead of, maybe not the first, but very far ahead of a, a lot of games and doing a lot of those things. And it definitely brought a lot of people on playing online on console. And oh, yeah. so with everything you talked about, with all the game modes and weapon modes and all those things, it was a game you had to have. And the fact that you could play on, play on, from the comfort of your own couch definitely speaks levels. Yeah. the fact I mean, and the fact that people were willing to, like, that's one of the only games that you really heard, especially console-wise, of people having like land parties to play. Of people bring multiple consoles over, multiple screens to be able to to, to host those events and, and and play those games and stuff like that's how you know how like iconic that that game itself was. Mm -hmm. 
Steve, you're number four. Uh, it's probably the most recent game I've put on here. Uh, I don't think you played this one. I, I don't think I know what this is. Okay, I, I can definitely try to sell you on it now. Uh, it's Control. Uh, it's uh, it's made by Remedy. They did the original Max Payne, and they did Alan Wake. Okay. Uh, did you play Alan Wake? No, I played Max Payne. Okay. So, <laughs> so it's um it's a single player story. Uh, you star as a woman named Jesse Faden who gets to this building in New York called the Federal Bureau of Control. And she's trying to find her brother. And she also has uh, a nagging voice in the back of her head. And I don't want to go any little bit further than that because that's part of the story. Sure. But you get to the Federal you get to the Federal Bureau of Control and everyone's missing and all of a sudden you're being attacked by these creatures. And then you find this gun and all of a sudden you have these powers. You can change the gun to a sniper, a shotgun. You can do all those things. You also find these objects called objects of powers, and they give you certain abilities. And my favorite one, which is the first one you get, you get a floppy disk from the USSR that has nuclear launch codes on it. But it gives you the ability to levitate. <laughs> and it's all these items that have just these otherworldly powers that helps you with your quest into finding your brother. But then you find a whole bunch of other things. You find other random powers of like this smoking baby carriage with a fire that can't go out. You find um, vending machine that you have to stare at. And if you don't stare at it, it'll kill you. But when you get to it, you're not actually staring at it. You're, it takes you to a boss fight. And it just adds these weird things to the game. If you've ever been online, have you ever heard of um, SCP, which is Secure, Contain, and Protect? It's just a journalism website of these creatures and items that are just mystified and are being collected by this company. That It pretty much becomes a game equivalent of that. And I, I mean, there's fan games of those uh, those stories of the SCP out there, but uh, a AAA title being made by a really good studio just pulls you in, and it's probably one of the best stories because you don't know where it's going. And I, if you're a fan of Alan Wake, you, it ties into Alan Wake, but... If you like Alan Wake, you're gonna love this game. Sounds interesting. You kind of sold me on it. the the different power ups and whatnot. It almost and, and ironically enough, matching the the can art you were reminds me of Mega Man, just getting different like mm-hmm. upgrades as you go and stuff like that. Is that on console? It is on console. Um, I know it is on PC, Xbox One, and PlayStation Four. It's actually included in the PS Now subscription. So I think the last time I checked, because I still have the DLC I have to play, you have it for another 85 days as of the recording of this. So you still have three months of playing it. Yeah. And it shouldn't take you more than, if you. I mean, if you play it every day, probably maybe like two weeks, two hours of it. But, I mean, there's side quests that will definitely pull you in, different items you see. And that's what was one of my favorite aspects of all the, of all the different items you find. There's a little um, dossier on it, and it'll tell you about it. And it's just intriguing, just like, wow, this is really cool. Yeah. Interesting. I will have to check that out. It, you, you did actually sell me on it. I'll give you the credit. My number four probably doesn't need to sell anybody on it. Legend of Zelda, again, A Link to the Past for Super Nintendo. And I played this one. <laughs> Thank God. This is my favorite Zelda game. This is the other game that pretty much completely justifies the Super Nintendo you know, online membership on the Switch that I have. This is Super Mario World. I started playing uh, Yoshi's Island, too, which is a fun game. 
but literally just those two alone are enough. Now I still have, I have like a, like a handheld super Nintendo thing. It's, I think it's called like the Superboy or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I still have that. And some, and some of these cartridges as well. Like that's how I play Mario RPG every once in a while, which is also very close to being on this list, which is a super slept on game still, I think, cause I just don't feel like many people had it. And now it's pretty hard to get your hands on, but I still have it. Uh, but length of the past, I think is, is this perfect game of an incredible story. It's very challenging. They did a great job being that it's on Super Nintendo. You figure, like, how can you, like, when you think about how much is in that game, and is there really another Super Nintendo game that has that much stuff? They did this great job where I don't know if they would have been able to have really, like, two entirely different maps in a game like that. They do that perfect thing where they do the light world and the dark world. It's basically the same fucking map. It's just all these little nuances, and I feel like that probably was a great workaround for being able to fit a game of that size, that length, that many, like, dungeons and stuff mm-hmm. on there is having that that thing. So that's kind of, like, a, a metal way to look at it. But I've always looked at it that way, and I have no idea if that's true. But I hold it in high esteem because it, it makes sense to me that that may be the case. And, uh, like, the gameplay is also I love being able to, to upgrade all the weapons to find all the items. You don't have to do all those things. So, again, to a lot of my points, like, this game has plenty of side things and little hidden things you can do. But you could also just blow through the game and beat it. You don't need that many of the items to necessarily beat the game. Mm-hmm but you have the option to do all these things and, you know, basically 100% the game and go off. And, and that's very fun in itself. Uh, replay value through the roof, uh, you know, looks great for a super Nintendo game. Probably one of, one of the better graphic games uh, that I've played on there. And, and uh, again, being a huge fan of that series, this is for me, I feel like a lot of people would have had Ocarina of time at the top of their Zelda list. But for me, I think a link to the past is the clear number one game in that series. Right. On. It's, it's definitely, I think it was a release title for the SNES when it came out. And I know you're going to give me shit for saying SNES. Yeah, I'm you, upset you snuck that in there. Yes, I feel I, like you did it on purpose. Yeah. But yeah, it's it was definitely a launch title. And it pulled you in right away because I think a lot of the Zelda games, they kind of had like a little bit of uh, playing into it. But I this, feel like every Nintendo console essentially has a Zelda as a release game. I'm trying to think now. I don't like know. Ocarina of Time definitely came very close if not at the beginning of the 64 when they did the, the Wii... Wind Waker was out right away, or GameCube. Yeah, Wind Waker's out right away. Twilight Princess for Wii, but I don't know when that came out. I'm pretty sure it it was very close, and then as soon as the Switch came out, the first game was uh, whatever the hell the new one's called. I forget now. Yeah, Breath of the Wild. Which they're announcing a sequel, which I think is probably maybe the... I don't know if it's going to be the first Zelda game that actually is a sequel, because a lot of people feel uh, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask were sequels, but this is a... Not really, though, so yeah, you, you might be right with that. Yeah, it's going to be the definitely first name. It will be Breath of the Wild 2, which, I mean, it's okay. great. I mean, I know a lot of people raved about that game. But, I mean, if you go back to the just regular old-school Zelda games, Link of the Past is one of the best ones out there. Yep. All right, for my number three, uh, I believe Dan did play this one. I don't think he liked it that much. Um, I was a huge fan of it, and it's The Division. The first one I loved. Okay. The problem with this game for me... I probably could could find this on my list if, at the time, I didn't really know anybody that played it. So, like, playing the single player was fine, but then once I started trying to play online and not having anybody to play with was just not fun. So it eventually really dwindled my interest in it. Being said, at that time, I was playing a lot of games online. Yeah, and, and Division definitely came out at a very crowded time of a lot of different games out there and definitely uh, vibing for your attention. 
And I completely agree with Dan. I didn't really play a lot of multiplayer with Division. Uh, I'm, I mean, Dan knows I'm more of a single player kind of guy. So like certain things that pull me in for single player definitely uh, will p- pull my fancy. And I think the Division, minus that it was online only pretty much, you had to play online no matter what. I mean, the location was great. It was a deserted New York City covered in snow, which is awesome. You don't see that. And yeah. I mean, it was a, a virus that, you know, hit right after Black Friday, which again, it's very real world kind of parallels to what's going on now today with, with COVID-19. Yeah, kind of. But the, I think it's one of the, f- I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like it's one of the first RPG military shooters that's out there. I mean, that, I, that I'm aware of, and that definitely spoke to me because I'm a huge RPG guy. It's been later in my life that I've started to play a good amount of first-person shooters, mm-hmm. mainly because it, it's it, you almost have to. There's not yeah. that much that comes out. It's such a huge staple of, of the gaming industry right now. So to be able to at least still give me that taste of an RPG, I agree, was was definitely something I was interested in. And they did really, really well. Mm-hmm. They didn't just do it to do it. It was really well done. And it was very customizable. There were different paths to go, different ways you could play. The gameplay itself was very good. There was, you know, being able to use, you, being able to use cover, being able to use different guns, being able to use projectiles, a lot of different types of enemies that weren't necessarily like the best AI, but they were clever enough, but not like too difficult to deal with. Uh, you know, when you got into a lot of those more like dungeon esque rooms with mm-hmm. a lot of them, like it took strategy. You couldn't just shoot your way through it. But it also wasn't Metal Gear Solid where if somebody sees you, it's over basically. Like, you know, you could get away with kind of doing a little bit of like run and gun here and there. So just a good overall blend and balance of all those things in in an also visually stunning game with a great storyline. So definitely up there for me. The the always online part really fucked me up with it and really not being able to do the multiplayer because a lot of the the ways their multiplayer worked was very difficult when mm. you didn't know anybody. And also, like, you just go in and get fucking wrecked by yeah, you whoever. Get, you would get destroyed in the Dark Zone, and, like, Dark Zone is the uh, player-versus-player aspect of the game. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it sucks because that's where some of the best loot is. And, like, you can't... You can go in by yourself, and you may be able to get some stuff, and that's cool, but, like, you... I mean, the core of the game is working with the squad. Yeah. Um, and then, going back on Dan said, we're talking about the game, I th- my favorite aspect of the game is of it being a military shooter and an RPG, it mixes so well. So, any other game you play, you shoot somebody in the head, they die. This game, you shoot somebody in the head, you're going to do damage to them, but they're not going to kill them instantly. However, it doesn't feel bad about it. You you don't feel like you're getting robbed. Like, I, I got that guy right in the head with a sniper rifle, he should be dead. It's like, oh, I got a good clean hit off of him. And that's great. And that's one of of my favorite aspects of the game. Dan, uh, what is your number three game on the list? My number three is Pokemon Blue for Game Boy. Classic Uh, game. The the original. I've played a lot of the other ones. I'm trying to think if there is, you know, at least one of every, you know, release they did after, I believe. But... To me, like I've I've struggled through the years, and as I've gotten older, keeping up with how many generations they are. And even while I say that, I will say that um, you know, uh, Sword and Shield on the Switch, I, I have both. I only played uh, one of them. I, I think I started playing Sword, if I'm not mistaken. I, it's been a while since I actually played it, but really enjoyed it. Really cool. But for me, like it's been really hard with how many freaking Pokemon there are to to really keep up oh, yeah. with it. Uh, Because there was, you know, a few years where I really just wasn't on top of playing these games. 
I could easily just boot up the first one and go through and love it again. And, you know, there's already 150 in it. Like, 150 is a lot. Like, I I can get by with that. I appreciate the way that they have built this franchise, and I still think it's great. And especially with a thing like Pokemon Go now, I love the community that exists with it. All of that is great. But to me, nothing beats the classic here. And I'm generally not, you know, always that guy that's always like, oh, the, the original is the best one and nostalgia this and nostalgia that. But with Pokemon, I am that way. Give me blue. Give me blue all day. And I and I always played blue. Yeah, I was a blue guy as well. I never had red. Um, and I can. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I think as Pokemon got further and further along, mine is, I think, Pokemon Stadium, which is Probably one of the best, no, maybe Pokemon Snap as well. One of the two best spinoff games for Pokemon. They're both really cool in in their own right. Yeah, uh, the as the games got uh, older in age and added more and more, they, I kind of feel like they just messed with it. It was it, it Pokemon. The original Pokemon games were very simple: collect monsters, battle monsters, beat the Elite Four. But there was since there were so many of them to collect, it definitely pulled you in, and it was just a great game. It, I I think the one time I played it, I went I. Played eight hours straight and got to the Elite Four. And that was one of the top of my gaming achievements. And it's a personal gaming achievement. <laughs> I'd be called a nerd now if I, I bust that out at a party. But I was proud of doing that because that's how dedicated it was to Pokemon Blue. Yeah, it was awesome. And I feel like each each one has had, and this is a hard thing to perfect for sure. But the fact that they got it right the first time has always stuck with me as being very impressive. Each one after that, I felt like either... You didn't really have to grind to be strong enough to do it, or you had to grind a little too much to be strong enough. Like, you either had to spend too much time leveling things up to be able to handle the fights, or you could just run through it. Like, I felt like, you know, the original ones, you got to grind a little, your team has to be strong, but you can pretty much follow the flow of the game, Mm -hmm. and you're generally, you know, if you just go through and do what you're supposed to and spend some time catching, making sure you catch everything, you're going to be at an appropriate level where the fights are challenging, but you can win them. Yeah, and you're Whereas, not. Whereas, like, in a lot of the new ones, especially if you know all the type advantages now and stuff like that, they're generally too easy, and you pretty much have to, like, kind of run in and do them right away to even have a challenge. That was also the great thing about it being fresh back then was, you know, it's pretty easy to figure out early on, okay, water beats rock, and, and you know, thunder beats flying, and, and so on and so forth. But you only have eight. Some of them have mixed types. Like, you know, it, it wasn't that complicated, but it also just wasn't like, okay, like this one just crushes everything and this one crushes everything. And there wasn't as much flexibility in learning different moves and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like now it seems there's so many that you can teach whatever the hell you want yeah. to so that like one can just run through an entire fight. You, you just didn't have all those things in this. It was it was like complicatedly simple and and beautiful in that way. Yeah, and it's a game. Uh, I don't know when the year came out for ninety seven, ninety five. I think. Really? Okay. I. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, we both played it when it came out. I'm sure. And I, yeah, I completely agree with Dan. It was simple enough. As however old I was, mine could get used to it, and I could play it. But like, there was enough challenging to the game to where I can actually like, okay, cool. I should probably switch out to this Pokemon. So the initial release date was February 96, but the U.S. release date wasn't until 98? Well, what? That doesn't sound right. No, that doesn't sound right at all. That's what it says. Uh, okay. Uh, that was 12-year-old Steve. Yeah. Uh, There's it, no way. Uh, I, I remember hearing about it before that, though. I remember my buddy had I think a, so, too, man. I don't a, think I got it. At t- I would have been 10. I think I had it before I was 10. Uh, there's some Mandela effect or something going <laughs> <Maybe>. on there. <laughs> the Bernstein Bears. Oh, gosh. <laughs> 
All right, Steve, number two. Uh, my number two is uh, Mass Effect 2. I don't. No, I'm not going to do it. Okay. Enjoy your game. Okay. Yeah. So Dan does not like this game. Uh, I respect all his decisions he has. I liked two the most of. I played all three of them. Oh, cause really? Because I, I wanted to like it. Two was the best one. Yes, absolutely agree with you. That's why it's on my list. I don't. I don't think it's very close. Two's the best one, but still, just didn't do it for me. I mean, and I respect that. Uh, I I will always respect somebody who doesn't like a game for a certain reason, not to just not like a game. Yeah, I tried it. I wanted to. A lot of people said it was good. A lot of people liked it. I I can get it. And two I played the most, so I'll I'll give it its due. But tell me how it's number two. That seems high even for somebody that liked it. So so I did talk to you about this about a week ago when we were discussing about the the podcast and everything, and I told you one of my favorite aspects of this game was the connecting decisions you can make through all three games, which I knew that was kind of happening in Mass Effect 1. They kind of told you that, like, hey, some of the decisions you're going to make will carry over to the second one. And I think only 60 decisions you made in the first game carried over to the second game. But then in the second game to the third game, I think it was, like, over 200 different choices you can, you can make will alter how you play the game. And, I mean, I'm not talking about Mass Effect 3. I... I didn't like Mass Effect 3. I played it for the story. I didn't like the ending like everybody else. But with Mass Effect 2, it pulled you in. It gave you people you cared about. Uh, your your shepherd that you created worked with technically the enemy now, which threw everything off because Cerberus, Cerberus was the enemy. And now all of a sudden you're working with them, but they're trying to help you destroy the, the Reapers. And so you had to amass a team. And the, all the side missions you can do with all of your your party members just pulls you in. I mean, I, I actually cared about these characters. It's, I think the only game series, especially when it came out that I bought the books for it, like the actual wow. novellas for the books, bought them. I actually got involved with the Twitter community where people would role play the characters or, or characters in the environment and stuff like that. And that's a, extremely nerdy. I know it is, yeah. but it drew you in. It was the, I, I mean, the, to make an equivalent of something, it was, the Lord of the Rings of a sci-fi story that was also a video game. Um, it just, it pulled you in. There was a history that you can get into. Um, and, you know, there was a whole bunch of other things. And then th- they made a lot of new decisions with the game. They got rid of the unlimited ammo, which, I mean, I can be very nerdy and tell you why you had unlimited ammo, because you had a little mo- uh, metal iron bar that would throw out high projectiles that were the size of a pin and you would that's how your gun fired and I'm they gonna fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> they they changed that in the second game where you actually had to reload because it was like a heat sink. But the the customizing of your characters, the decisions you can make again as I said, you the love choices you can make which I mean were good and bad. I mean, it's whatever. I mean, I know that the media was like sex in video games. Da da da. And like, yeah, that was in there, but like it was also like the second to last mission. Like you literally like you hook up with your companion and that was it. But, I mean, again, it was a story where you can actually, um, with with uh, Mass Effect 2 was the suicide mission. And you your shepherd could die. Literally, he would be dead, and that would be the end of your story. So, making sure that you went through and did all your side quests for all your characters to make sure your shepherd survived is what pulled me in. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a, a unique and intriguing aspect to it. 
There are elements of that of that game I really liked. You hit on a lot of them. Obviously, the 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 story between the three and and the impact of your decisions. We talked about that being in other things to lesser degrees and being a cool element. So, mm-hmm. I definitely appreciate that part of it. I think I don't. I mean, maybe I just didn't get into the story enough for for it to suck me in. And I think that game, the gameplay wasn't good enough nor exciting enough to where if you're not drawn into that story, mm-hmm. that it doesn't work for you. And there's also like it, it's really tough for me with first person shooters to not play online. I get that. And there was um I think there was a multiplayer aspect of Mass Effect two. Yeah, I don't even remember. I, I don't know if that was two or three, but um I mean I if there was and I was again, uh, you know, we talked about so, some of these games being uh, competing for your time. Mm-hmm. I was probably playing something else. I, I'd imagine at that time, if my memory serves right, maybe like a Black Ops. Yeah, that sounds about right. Which I spent a lot of time playing multiplayer on, so it may have just been like, okay, I know I like this and I'm already doing it and I'm not going to do another one. I never respect that. So that may very well be the case. I feel like my number two may kind of fit, though, in in the same degree as yours, which is the original Destiny. Now, you don't have necessarily a team with you, but Destiny, one, the thing that always stuck out to me with this game, and, and even in two, even though I liked two significantly less than the original, the lore of this game is insane. Oh, yeah. The 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 detail and, and lengths that you can really actually find out, information on, on the lore of the Destiny you know franchise at this point, really well done, I think is told really well through the story and everything, and... Again, although you don't necessarily play with these characters, you have enough involvement in the story with, with the main, uh, you know, guardians that are guiding you, whether that be uh, Ancora or... Cade 22, I think. Was uh, well, Cade 6, I think, is the one, and then the the Paladin one or whatever they call it in that game. Name. I forget his name, too, but... And they become much, much more uh, prolific in the second one, which I was the cool part about the second one that, you know, they became way more involved in the story and you actually even saw them kind of in action. And, you know, when you open that game, you're playing through and kind of see them doing their stuff. But the thing about the the first one specifically to me that I loved was the raids. And it took me back to my World of Warcraft days, which I, I tend not to talk about sometimes because that was a dark period of my life. But... The raids in Destiny were like unlike anything I had ever done in a shooter nor pretty much any console game of needing to get six people to play, you know, basically a, a campaign type thing instead of like an online player versus player type deal. And they were crazy difficult mm. and required insane coordination and collaboration. And the rewards justified the means. You got incredible loot. But you know, that was the perfect way to balance not being a pay-to-play game mm-hmm. was, okay, these raids are crazy difficult. You need to get five other people to help you do them. And the the drop rate of some of these items is pretty low. So you would have to replay those so raids. So you've got to keep doing oh, it. And, and, and you know, eat, you know different bosses that have different ones. And they had so much DLC, and all the DLC was good. Like, I can't tell you how many times I ran the second raid. I, I The one that ended up fighting... Uh, the son, of, the son of, uh, I think it's either orcs or the son of orcs, which was Crota. I forget what the yes, order is. Something, but yes. you know, at the end, it's like you know that 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 last fight was seriously probably one of my favorite things in any video game ever. Like the way you do, like you have to fight your way out of these tunnels. Then down below is like these. Uh, 
I forget what they're called, but basically they have a sword. You got to kill them, take the sword and go up and you've got to like stun the boss. And then one guy's got to be out there hitting with the sword. And once he breaks the shield with the sword, your entire team's got to fire on him and take him down. You've got to do that in phases. Like it was so calculated and you, and you had to figure all this out. Like nobody knows this stuff. Yeah. When, 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 were, you, when you first do it, like, so the first time you go and you have no idea what the hell is going on. That one, dude, the, the, the first part of that uh, raid is this entirely pitch black room with holes in the floor that you just dive, you fall through, and the whole time the thrall are just chasing you. So, like, it's base, it's kind of like those zombie games. It's kind mm-hmm. of like a, uh, was it like Dead to... Dead Space? No. Um, or uh, is it... Uh, I forget what it is. It, the one where, like, they, they, they have sprinters... Left for Dead. Left for Dead. That's what I was thinking of. It's almost like that, where it's, you know, like they're just like chasing you the whole time, and it swarms, and they never freaking stop. And then it gets into this whole complicated thing of having to cross this like laser bridge, and there's all I don't like. It's crazy. And that was only one of them. There was one before that, the uh, like the Vault of Glass or, or mm-hmm. Chamber of Glass or whatever. And I'm pre- pretty sure Destiny One alone had like four different ones that all came out in DLC, and were all very good. The what was the third one? The third one, I don't remember. And then the fourth one was actually like Oryx. And that one was, was very cool too. And very challenging as well. So like the challenges that they brought, but not being an online PVP, which like I play PVP games and it's fine, but I would much rather play a huge online multiplayer co-op. And destiny did that in a way that like, I still don't know anything else that, that really does that to that degree that, that I enjoy that much. So it's a shame that I don't think they they really did a great job with Destiny 2. It's not awful. I know we've played it and it's it's very much the same but it just didn't really bring me the same joy that uh that Destiny 1 did. And there's still PVP and stuff like that and all of that was really good too. The one thing I'll say about 2 that I really enjoyed was the uh the trials thing where you fight the stuff in waves which oh, yes. I really loved the the Halo uh, version that had that too, which I think was in three or, or four reach or ODS. I don't remember ODST or something, but um, I like that style too. I really like that in destiny too. That was a nice addition, but yeah, it, it gets, it gets you with your friends together to go against waves. I think it was trials of Osiris. I think it was called in destiny too, I believe because they had the, um, they had the whatever machine or whatever that would let you change time in a sense. Uh, trials of Osiris is, Something different, I think. Okay, then I was wrong. Um, well, speaking with Destiny... Oh, it's uh, the, um, like, the gauntlet or something. Yes, or that's the, what it was. Okay, I got my things mixed up there. Thank you for I, correcting I forget, me. Or the Gambit. Gam- oh, Gambit. Two, yeah, it's we the played, Gambit. Yeah. We played Gambit. Yeah, we played I, a lot of Gambit. We, oh, my God, that was amazing because it was... That mode was cool. Yeah, it was PvE plus PvP. Yes. Which was really great. We, I mean, me and you would run all the time, and then I know, like... Steve, Trials is the, uh, is, like, the like the highest level of their PvP yes, okay. where you're... Yeah. Even though okay. I'm wearing a Destiny shirt, I am totally forgot over it. <laughs> There's a lot to it, man. And I haven't played in a while. Yeah. But, but yeah, the first one was just... Dude, I pumped so much time into that game. Now, with, Dink, um, now with Destiny, what did you think of uh, Peter Dinklage's performance as your ghost? It was awesome. And... Um, did you say awesome or awful? Awesome. Oh, good, good, thank you. I agree with you. I actually I like Peter and, Dinklage and, and the dude who uh, who who voices Cade is is Nathan Villian. Awesome. Yeah, Nathan, yeah. Who's in a lot, who's in a lot of things. Well, um, yeah, like one, like again the uh, like the cutscenes and, and and the cinematics and stuff in in both one and two are, are all really good for for a game like that. And this one as well kind of has that shooter RPG mm-hmm. blend you talked about, which is again something that I, I think we both enjoy, which explains why we're both fans. Uh, of the games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Now, before we get to our number one game, do you want to go over a couple of our honorable mentions? Sure. I didn't, I didn't know if you had any because I had to write mine out because I ended up throwing stuff in and out. I have a couple that are, stopped, are, are tucked in my head. I don't know how many you want. I can give you like three or four, no problem. I mean, I, I won't really hit on them because we're, we're running yeah. a little long. So uh, Fortnite was on here just because we play it so much. You know, it's a mm-hmm. good game, but it's one-dimensional. So to put it on like a top 10 list yeah. seems crazy, but we we both spend a lot of time playing it, you know, enjoy the game, mainly for the sake that that's how, you know, a lot of us talk exactly. most of the time, you know, our group that plays. So that one's cool. Final Fantasy VIII we talked about. It would be pretty close for me. I really enjoyed that game. Diablo 2 on PC was a game I put so much time into uh, that that I really loved. And, uh, you know, I never played 3. I don't know what, what the consensus really is. I feel like I, I only ever see mixed a mixed bag on if it's good or not, so I've always been scared to try it. It's generally seems like it's it's often very cheap and available, so I've considered it, but never pulled the trigger. The uh, PS4 Spider-Man game, fucking awesome. I played a handful of it. I think I told you when I started playing it, and I, I ended up giving up on it, but, like, I know you love it to death. Dude, it's so good, and I'm, and I'm upset because, like, I, I was... I was grinding that game like I hadn't grinded a game in a very long time. Like, I was looking to 100% that game. I thought it was that good. Like, down to, you know, when you fight, like, these warehouses of villains, like, they'll have challenges of, like, oh, like, throw three people off the side, you know, tie up three people mm-hmm. to, like, 100% just that fight. And I was, like, going down to that detail to do it. And then, you know, like, a, a month came where I didn't get to play any video games, and I, like, forgot how to play. Like, that's the worst. And that game, that, that game's more complicated than people think, and to just pick it right back up is tough. I finally tried, like, a week or two ago and kind of relearned it, but I was nowhere near as good. Like, I was pretty damn good at it once I figured it out. I, I, I couldn't do fights the same way, and then I haven't played it again since, so I'll forget again. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I'm holding on to it because sometime I'm going to give that game, and, and probably 100%, it's oh, that nice. good. Um, the city looks incredible. You talked about uh, the division being that apocalyptic New York City. I mean, this is regular New York City, and it is like you know, grain for grain, it's New gorgeous. York City. It's gorgeous, and you can swing freely through the whole thing. Uh, it blew me away. Uh, Guitar Hero Two again, like a one dimensional game, but awesome, really fun. Two. The only reason I picked two was because I loved one, but two was when you could finally start doing hammer ons, which mm-hmm. changed the game. So. That was important. Smash Brothers. I picked Melee. Things the best one for GameCube. Again, game to play with your friends, but that's pretty much it. So to put it on a list like this seems difficult. Mm-hmm. Fable Three. Have you played Fable? I've never played a single Fable okay. game. Okay, you want to talk about games where your decisions matter? Fable Three. Basically, your whole thing is leading up to how like this war is going to happen on the world. Oh, really? Uh, it's absolutely insane, but it's like an RPG style game. But all your decisions matter. You can choose to be incredibly evil. You can choose to be incredibly good. Okay. And all this. Uh, I can't. I mean, all the games are really good, but three was ridiculous uh, just because how important all your decisions seemed to be. So if that's something that speaks to you. That's the game. Borderlands. I could pick one or two. I picked one. Uh, I really liked them both, but I just enjoyed one the most. Uh, it was fresh. It was new. Uh, you mentioned before about games that have humor like this game is funny to Mm -hmm. me it's a little bit vulgar it's like over the top like cartoony and like it's not gory but like it's just like i'd say gooey yeah almost like a splatter and randomness but it's not like super violent because of the cartoonish aspect have you seen um borderlands without the cell shading when they first were announcing it i don't think so. check that out they they had like a a Brief demo of the game without the cell shading, and it to- again looks like a totally different game. So the fact that they did go with cell shading and made it cartoony definitely helped with the game. I could see that. 
Uh, Jack Grind Radio, I had to find something from Dreamcast because I loved Dreamcast, and I don't feel like many people even had it or played it or liked it, but I really enjoyed it. The Sonic games on Dreamcast were insane. They were so good. Uh, like I think it was NFL 2K4 or something was like probably my favorite football game of all time. I played it on Dreamcast. Uh, I I really loved that system. Jack Ryan Radio was like the release title for that. Mm-hmm. Really awesome, unique game, combining kind of like a GTA, you know, escape the police kind of thing. But obviously the main point was kind of like spray painting. But there's also yeah. like a music aspect to it, and almost like a Tony Hawk Pro Skater thing because you're like rollerblading and grinding yeah. and and all this stuff. So a really weird mix of games, and then to that degree, Tony Hawk Pro Skater. I like the original because once you got got to two and you could manual. It became this whole crazy, yeah. ridiculous chain. And, like, I don't know, maybe it's because I wasn't great at doing the manual part. But being able to link all that stuff together and just basically never stop kind of cheapened it for me. I like the original where you can't do that. And your chains kind of have to fit together between just grinding and flipping and, and uh, hold tricks. Yeah. And, yeah, it was a, more of a purist. Uh, and the soundtrack. And soundtrack. Sound, oh, my God. Uh, with the Superman by Goldfinger. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I still have that on my Spotify playlist. I love it. A um, couple of my games of, on my um, honorable mentions, uh, I have Dead to Rights Retribution, which uh, it's a remake of the original Dead to, uh, Dead to Rights games, which were pretty much a Max Payne clone, but this one had more of a uh, crime noir story to it. Okay, uh, It's a game I bought at GameStop for 10 bucks, and I fell in love with it. One on there that I almost added to my best list, just like how we were discussing, is uh, 50 Cent Blood in the Sand. Wow. I... Thoroughly loved that game. I have no idea what that is. Well, oh man, it was it was the first game I got for GameFly. Uh, pretty much just think Gears of War, but in the desert with Fifty Cent and Gene Unit. Oh Gene, fuck, that sounds awesome. It's a I recommend playing it. It's just over the top. Uh, quick story is Fifty Cent gets paid to go play in Saudi Arabia or whatever Middle East country, and he's paid in a diamond encrusted skull. Well, the Jesus diamond Christ. encrusted skull gets stolen. So then he goes, fights through the Middle Eastern country to get it back, and he ends up... Sounds more like an Archer episode. <laughs> it pretty much is close as <laughs> what it is. Um, and then I had um, Undertale is on there. Um, indie game by Toby Fox. You probably heard the song Metrovania. Uh, it's just a really good, funny, RBGS kind of game. Uh, it's a game I didn't know much about until I saw it on sale for PS4, and then I ended up buying it, and um, I thoroughly enjoy it. I, the humor's great. The way you do combat's really cool. You don't do normal attacks. You end up having a little heart in a box, and you have to move it all the way around. And it's just definitely a different take on the RPG element. Interesting. I would also probably put Detroit in there, which I don't think you tried yet, did you? I played, like, the first hour of it. Um, you When you got the game, you raved about it with me, and I told you I was definitely going to put it on my list because I was a big fan of uh, Indigo Prophecy, which is made by the same company. Yeah. I recommend that. Not difficult, really, at all. It's not like a, a shooter or an action game. It's mostly just decision-based. Uh, also very, very uh, relatable to the times we're living in, yeah. sadly. Uh, a friend of mine texted me and said he finally played it. He's like, is it bad that the outcome of my first playthrough is pretty much the world we live in right now? And I'm like, no, that's what happened to me, too. So uh, And replay value, because I, I like I, I lent it to a friend, so I don't have it. But like I want to go. There's, diff- there's so many ways the story can go. I only know one. I only played it through the one time, so I definitely want to go back and play it again. Didn't take very long. I don't think it's more than probably seven, nine hours. That's, I don't that's think. not bad gameplay. It's not. You can get right there. But again, if you want more from it, you can play it several times and get different results. So okay. it's interesting. 
All right, Steve, number one. I think you'll have more to say about yours than mine because I kind of gave mine away already. Yeah, yeah. So my number one favorite game of all times is Fallout New Vegas. Dan, have you played this game? I have. Okay, what did you think about it? I don't like Fallout. Okay, and that's fair. I've tried. I've really tried. I will say New Vegas is the one I was able to play the most. Okay. Um, I played two. I played New Vegas, and then I played four. Okay. And four pissed me off so much. I can agree with you there. That I don't want to play any of them ever again now. And I don't blame you. I feel four ruined Fallout. Um, even, not even 76 ruined Fallout. Fallout 4 ruined Fallout. Uh, just, I'm not, you know, I'm not going on why I hate Fallout 4. I'm here to talk about Fallout yeah, New talk Vegas. about what you love. Okay, so, it takes place in New Vegas, which is just Las Vegas. It takes place in the Mahovi, Mah- it takes place in the Mahovi Desert, which is a different uh, locale. It takes it back to the west, which is from where the original Fallouts are. But you're not playing as a fault, you're not playing as a vault dweller. You're playing as a, the carrier who is, whose job was to deliver a chip. Uh, I forget to who. I think it was Mr. Vegas, and you get jumped by Benny, who is just this 50s gangster. And you come back to life or whatever. You survive your gunshot, and then you're there to hunt Benny down. What I loved about the game was, first, it added iron sights into it. It added mods to the guns. The story was great, but the story actually led into the continuation of the DLC. So you knew about this one guy called Ulysses, and you only heard about him here and there. And then every DLC you played, you heard about him a little more here and there until you got to the final DLC, which the name of it is Forgetting Me. But why I love the game so much was because it was so open, all the side quests you can do. And then the DLCs were amazing. Um, my favorite DLC of the game is called The Big MT. Um, and I'm not going to go on why it was called that because it's called The Big Mountain in the game. But um, I forget the guy's name. I got it now. Uh, you know James Urbanic? He plays Doc Venture in Venture Brothers? Yes. He does all the voices in The Big Empty, okay. which is great. But it's just you're in this little uh, bubble dome world fighting random creatures, but the game has humor in it. You have a, a toaster that wants to take over the world, and it talks to you. <sighs> Amazing. You have... Um, Dogs that are half dogs and half robots, but it's done in a weird way. Sounds have, like an episode of Aqua Teen. Pretty much. Yeah. You have uh, skeletons who look like the Mars Attack aliens. Mm. It just adds all these different things to the game, and they keep it fresh, and they keep it weird. And they keep it weird because it's made by Obsidian, who was made up of the original makers of the original Fallout. So all that unique Fallout humor is there. And I spent, I think over 200 hours playing this game, just doing side missions, just doing all the missions for your companions, making sure they have the best armor. I mean, the voice cast is amazing. You have uh, Felicia Day in it. You have Matthew, not Matthew Product, Matthew Perry, the guy from Friends. Yeah, that sounds right. You have um, the guy who played Chuck, who I can't think of his name now. Chuck. Yeah, Chuck. All the vo- <laughs> All the voice acting was great. You had a Wayne Newton as Mr. Mr. Las Vegas, who was just a radio announcer. I mean, I, I'm sorry I'm unprepared with all the voice actors that were in the game. I think it's okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, but it's the game that I played the most, and I still own it, even though I can't play it on my 360 because 
it's scratched, but I still own it because I love the game. And like I said, everything about the game with the DLC, the storylines you can go, the characters you meet, the enemies you fight, the actual RPG elements are better than Fallout 3. And they never brought that stuff over to Fallout 4. Fallout 4 felt like a cheap version of the Fallout games. So even though I played and beat all of Fallout 4 and all the DLC, I'm always going to go back to New Vegas because there's there's so many things that keep me grounded into wanting to play that game. All right. My number one is Final Fantasy VII. Probably made that clear already. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably don't need to go too much at length. A lot of the same things apply from when I talked about the remake. But what I'll say is... One, to have this many characters that all had very different and intriguing personalities. The story told throughout this game, the the idea of this enormous world map, we're talking like three different continents, basically. All, all the different side things you can do that you don't have to do. Getting all the summons, the, the, the little nuances of, you know... Uh, the snowboarding level putting you into this this Arctic freeze thing to where if you're out there too long, it just takes you to the base of the mountain. But there's so many secrets out there that you want to be able to get, and there's ways to keep yourself warm, and all these little tricks to it, all the mini-games between riding the motorcycle and swinging your sword, or the snowboarding game, or even just doing the stuff in the Gold Saucer Casino. Like, there, there's so much to it. Different vehicles, different weapons. The materia system was incredible. And, I mean, like... You know, two two side characters with their own different quests that only occur if you have the characters. Like, a lot of things you, you just really hadn't heard of. Like, most games, you just go through this linear progression. You you get a few people. If that, you know, sometimes you're only getting one, two other people. This ha- I believe this has nine, eight or nine characters total uh, that are playable. Uh, two of which you don't even necessarily even come across if you don't want to. Uh, the story of saving the world is easy, but it's also this this tale of this guy who doesn't really know who he is and, and doesn't know his place, and I'm not going to spoil anything in regards to that. The one thing that is basically a spoiler, but at this point, if you haven't played the fucking game, I don't know what to tell you, but I feel like even people that haven't played know this. What game have you played that you just that you have this character and at one point they literally die and yeah. you can't play them anymore and you have no fucking idea that it's coming? Yeah, like, it... You had never seen that in a game. And, like, especially at that point when, like, you invest so much in these characters in this RPG format where you level them up and you unlock stuff for them, you're unlocking limit breaks, you're unlo- you're buying them weapons specific for them, you are leveling up their stats and everything, and then it's like, what the fuck? Like, she's actually dead. And it was so power. It's not like some bullshit, like, you know, falls down a, a, a tunnel or, or, like, a fucking pit or something. Like, the fucking main antagonist stabs her through the fucking stomach. And you see this in a cutscene, which the cutscenes for this game, at the time this game came out, were unbelievable. Absolutely. It was a fantastic cutscene. I mean, the with the graphics and everything, not the murdering of Arius. Right. But... I completely agree with you. you. You didn't see it coming. I when I played the game, I knew it was. Ha- I knew that she died, but I never knew how, where, or when. And then when it was happened, I literally dropped my controller because I was in complete shock. Yep. It it hits you like a ton of bricks. 
the score to the game is incredible. All the music in all the different places, whether it's eerie, whether it's happy, like the ominous music that's playing the entire time in the world map once the meteor comes into play is just setting this tone for the end of the world. The uh, and, and one of the strongest things to me is like right before they you finally go into the crater at the end, you know, everybody kind of goes back to like their home and sees their loved ones and Cloud and Tifa don't have anybody and they're just stuck there. And it's just this crazy, like, like they, you'd think at that point, like, okay, we're at the end and we're just going to go and we're going to do this. But they really tell this story and all this. And then the final boss fight, the final boss fight is three different boss mm-hmm. fights and they're all insane. You, you have the first one, which is like, just a regular fight and then you fight this like like Genova ridiculous thing where your whole team is involved you're using oh, yes. every single character you're switching between the platforms like there's nothing like that in a game at that point and I, even since then I don't know if there's really like in an RPG a thing where you're using your entire party you know like like eight or nine different people to, to fight one boss and, and it actually matters how you do it. And then you still have the actual final fight with Sephiroth. And then, you know, the actual like last thing, which isn't really a fight where you're just, you know, Omni slashing, but uh, you know, I, I could go for another hour and I won't, but goddamn, I don't like the difference between final fantasy seven is my number one. And Desi is my number two is so ridiculously large. It's not even close. Like, this game is number one, and then every other game is, like, number 20, really. So when you were making this list, you knew immediately Final Fantasy VII was going to be top of your list. Final Fantasy was number one. That was easy. Destiny was pretty clearly number two uh, for, for all the reasons I mentioned, and then it got really, really difficult after that. One and two were, were absolute slam dunks, one being the, the easiest decision of my life. Yeah, same with me. I, I definitely had to sit there and think of what game I played that I had the most fun with, and again, it was Fallout New Vegas. But then thinking those other games are tough because, like, what do you you got away? Did you like it more, or did you play most yeah. of it? And it, it was tough. I I know I had trouble. You told me when you were making the list, you had a hard time making this list. It's giving me anxiety, man. I, I don't like it's the same. Like, it's the same thing with a lot of things. Like we talked on popcorn portables. Like I'm pretty confident I can say that Clerks and Superbad are my one and two favorite movies. After that, I have no idea where I go. Like, Thrice is my favorite band. After that, I have no idea where I go. Like number one's usually pretty easy for yeah. me. Like I I'm pretty. Uh, set on on my top of of a lot of things, but after that it gets pretty murky. I'm not really great at, at ordering after that, and it gives me a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. But at the same time, th- this was a lot of fun, Steve. Uh, this was an interesting exercise. If if I had to make this list in a week and and you know erase this from my memory, it probably would be different. Yeah, I but get- I but I tried to give this due diligence, and I th- I think we both did a good job and had our good reasons, and you know explained a lot of good things about these games. I feel like. Other than you mentioning Control, I don't know if any of these would be too far off anybody's radar. Um, I will fully disclose, I didn't do it till after I wrote my list down, but after I wrote my list down, I, I Googled a couple like top 50 games of all time, okay. top 100 all time, just to see if there's anything that I was like, oh, like, oh my God, I missed this. I yeah. can't believe it. It did not change my list. Okay. Uh, the only thing that it did was it helped me remember to put Tony Hawk Pro Skater on my honorable mentions. <laughs> Because I probably would have forgot I, how, how much I enjoyed that game and uh, how excited I am for the remaster yeah. coming out in the fall. Yeah, I didn't look at a best of list, even though I felt like I should have, but I didn't want to get influenced. That's yeah, exactly. Little, that's, that's why I made sure to write it first. Yeah. there. I mean, a lot of best of lists, and 
they're I mean they're done with you know their best games, but like I feel like those best of lists are just like it's almost like an Emmy in a sense where everyone's getting together to agree like this is a good game and like yeah I I will give accolades to a game that deserves it I will absolutely will but I wanted a game a list that mattered to me and I'm happy that you made one that mattered to you too yeah like for example like I saw I I might have been IGN had like a 100 list and I mean they're probably factoring in like commercial success and stuff mm-hmm. of course but like Final Fantasy Seven was like 97. And I think Fortnite was like 70. And I was like, fuck this list. Are you kidding me? Like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I mean, as IGN, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a big fan of IGN. I feel like. I'm just saying in general, yeah. like, you know, like, like, that's what I mean. Like, these lists are not going to influence my numbers. But I didn't know, if, you know, towards the top, I might see a game. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, how could I forget this yeah, game? Yeah, true, true. But all it really did was kind of make me realize that generally I'm not picking the obvious choice. Like, I actually think that from the two or three that I looked at, I think a lot of them had, you know, Final Fantasy 9 and or 10 really? as like the highest game that they had on their list. I know, I think Ocarina of Time and I think Link's Awakening were the two that I generally saw toward the top of the Zelda list, not mm-hmm. linked to the past, which surprised me. Um, things along those lines. I think uh, for GTA, I think one of them had five really high. I think the other one did have four. Pretty up there. I was surprised to see five really high on one. Chrono Trigger is routinely up there for a lot of them. I was glad to see that get its credit. And uh, I think the original Halo is generally the one that's put on there. But I think that's also just because it's the first one. Yeah. And they're giving it credit for the for the franchise, which makes sense. Yeah. But we kind of both explain and I think agree why, why 2 probably deserves more of that credit. Um, and it's just the better game in general. So... Uh, Steve, anything else you want to add? I, I had a lot of fun with this. It, it's a lot uh, for anybody that toughed it out this far. You know, God bless you. But Thanks. I do think that it was fun. I do think that, you know, there, there's a lot here. And obviously, if you are looking for a game to play and, and you haven't played any of these, hopefully maybe we intrigue you on the idea of w- one or a few of them. And if you want to tweet at Process Potables, uh, or go to our Facebook page or Instagram, if you want to let us know, you know, your top three, top five, top ten, please do so. We would love to hear them. Uh, interact with you on them let us know if you hate or love any of the things we mentioned let, let us know if you think steve's list is better my list is better wherever you want make sure that you uh let us know but uh before we go steve anything else uh no not at all I- i'm just happy that you know uh you gave me the time to come on here and you know try something different i mean this is the first podcast i've ever been a part of or on so it was very nerve-wracking i think i told you the last couple of days it's been nothing but nerve-wracking um but i had a lot of fun i feel like i got a lot of the cobwebs out, and uh, I'm hopefully this does good enough where you know I can do another uh, segment next in two weeks from now. Yeah, I, I definitely think this is something that we can keep going. Uh, I, I hope that people you know give us the feedback if it's something that that you're interested in. But uh, like I said, you know I think video games is, is another strong uh, market of, of you know the the news cycle will always have something fresh. There's always games coming out. There's always things being delayed. There's always, you know, big offense. You've got like the, uh, like, you know, expos. You've got, you know, PS, you know, again, today, PlayStation was supposed to have this big event for the PS5. So I'm sure over the next couple of months, there's going to be a lot of news about, you know, next gen consoles mm-hmm. and stuff. It seems like we're approaching kind of the, the time where we're going to get that. And I mean, you know, like how long have we been sitting on PS4 and, and uh, Xbox One now? Like, Probably about six, seven years. Yeah. I so, say. I mean, we're kind of approaching a, a pretty, pretty big milestone, like a, another pretty big leap in graphics gameplay the way that that we we partake in all these things things that bring us together and especially during this quarantine time i think you know we talked about this on on process photos when we spoke to nick johnson that you know video games 
for those of us who, who love them, but even for a lot of people who probably didn't like, this has been such a great time for them because everyone's been stuck inside. What yeah. else are you going to do? It's a way to communicate. It's a way to interact still. It's a way to try to, to still feel normal in a time that very much is not. So hope that everybody enjoyed the conversation. We had a great time talking about it. Uh, again, make sure to check out the rest of the network, popcorn and potables, power bombs and potables, pucks and potables, process potables, and the very brand new, which we are wrapping up now, power-ups and potables for Steve. I'm Dan. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Peace.